fucking deep. I like it. These guys are jerks. Fucking deep. Bless you, boys. Young men expressing themselves. Unbelievable. Fucking deep. Put it in deep. Now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. Manjapani and Jason. Giordano has Gagne wrapped up. And Matthew Kachuk and Ethan Bear are going to drop the gloves. Bear belts him with the right hand. Kachuk counters with a straight right. Right hook, Ethan Bear. Left jab, Matthew Kachuk. And now we're going to have a goalie fight. Bear throws the right hand. Here comes Cam Talbot and Mike Smith. They're going to go with center ice. Talbot short with the right hand. Smith, three clubbing right hands. Right hand Talbot. Big right-handed shot from Mike Smith. This is the How about the timing on that intro, let's go. Worked out quite nicely. Worked out pretty well. I clipped it. That's Jack Michaels, by the way, on the broadcast call for Edmonton Radio. And I don't like know TSN if there's. Edmonton? Oh, I don't know. You're putting me on the spot there. I just know the name because I found it on Reddit, and they were like, "This is a legendary call." It's a hell of a call. It's. A hell I was of a watching call. It on TV, and it was nowhere near that good. It was still exciting, though. Oh, of course. But like it was, I was. It was Dave Randorf. It got me right so, up on my feet. Like <laughs> it I couldn't be very good if it was Dave Randorf. Yeah, me and me and my buddies are watching. Like, Gus, you know, you're kind of jacked. Like, holy crap, a fight! Because it's like, you know, seeing a zebra or something. Seems super rare. Yeah, and not and only that. And then all of a sudden, you're like, a goalie fight? <laughs> yeah, a goalie <laughs> fight, holy you shit. You just get right up there, and that was awesome. Yeah, so that was the uh, Jack Michaels version of the fight call. And what I was going to say was when I clipped it, I didn't it, initially I didn't intend to use the whole thing. I just wanted to get the goalie fight part. Well, where do you cut it? Exactly. And I was like, you know what? In, like, in, a, in a slight nod to Jack Michaels, I'm giving him the whole highlight here because it was it. good. He did. He did earn it. Um, and speaking of earning things, hopefully we've earned your trust here on the Pucks and Deep podcast. We have a big guest coming up uh, later on in the show, Nick Alberga. We will go through everything that Nick does because he's a bit of a jack of all trades. And can you hear him fighting it tonight? I'm fighting it vocally. Yeah, you're a little raspy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You asked me if it was me yelling at the TV last night over the Leaf game, which we'll obviously break down later and maybe get some Nick Alberga input on that as well. It was a tough one last night, and I know we don't like to just lead off with Leafs, but it's a pretty important game, man. Like, that was a really important game. It was a big card, a lot of games on the schedule last night, but that Leaf-Florida game, everyone had their eyes on it in terms of playoff implications and, you know, the proverbial four-point game thing, and just when it looked like we had it in our grasp, we not only lose the game, but we lose our starting goaltender for an undetermined amount of time. So hopefully that's not very long, but let's go. I was in full fucking panic mode. Uh, last night and I had to talk myself off the ledge before going to bed. Yeah, it seems a lot of people in Leafs Nation were. I watched Mike Tyson Mysteries after on Netflix for a <laughs> bit of a distraction. You told me about that. Yeah, so uh, that made me feel a little bit better. But like you said, man, completely within their control. Um, thankfully, it wasn't an, an issue like last time they played the Panthers where it was complete lack of effort and not showing up for a big game. Yeah, it was a no-show. I mean, they completely... 
uh, played the opposite of that last game, whereas they, you know, they largely dominated that game. And then, you know, it seemed that things were kind of unlucky for them a lot of times. And I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, like, you know, they kind of outscored that sweet, like they've just taken charge. And then the third period, just everything went wrong for them. It's felt like, yeah, well, again, let's dissect it later in our leaf segment. Let's get away from all that bullshit because I just want to have some fun right now because as of last night after that game, it hasn't been very fun (laughs) thinking about hockey and thinking about the playoffs and thinking, you know, I can't believe at this point in February 2020, I'd be concerned that the Leafs aren't going to make the playoffs. But, uh, well, that's exactly where I am right now. Yeah, here we are. But back to business. Um, How was the weekend, my man? Did you uh, catch the big game, the big Super Bowl? I did. Uh, I did not make it all the way through the game. I participated until the end of the uh, halftime show. Okay, so I got a so chance to... I was a little more there, I think, for the entertainment than halftime the show? football. Did you know that Pornhub uh, had a massive spike in their Shakira... Looking and... for lookalikes? Yeah. <laughs> searches? Yeah, it spiked. It spiked huge. That's not surprising. Uh, during the halftime show, lookalike celebrities or whatever you want to call it, porn stars on on Pornhub, which was pretty funny because there was one guy in, in one of the group chats I'm in, he called it out. You know, like right when the halftime show was going on, he sent a message to the group. He's like, guaranteed Pornhub spikes on this. Well, you see it probably residual, like the traffic into their social media pages, the the plays on their music. Like, yeah. Oh, it's for sure. such a huge audience right there. Did you see the other thing that was pretty funny? It was like a, a meme and it was on the left side. It was a woman from a television show. Her name escapes me, but she was famous. Right. Uh, she was a famous mother on a television program. From famous like the, mother. From the 80s. No, oh. no. But she was like a famous mom in a oh, TV character. Sh- yeah, character. Okay. Thank you. Um, it was like being 50 in 1985. And it was her with like the scarf on thing and all done up. Oh, and I her, did see that. And then on yeah. the right, it's like being 50 in 2020 and it's JLo on the pole hanging or, from the pole with yeah vagina out basically <laughs> like thought that oh, was pretty man. funny man we've come a long way no nah, doubt that was a that was a hell of a show like wicked performance and i love that latin music the just the extra i don't know latin dance music or what whatever it was and and the production that they put into these things like you can see why they have super bowl in a neutral site because the amount of production that you get at this event you can't really have that in a sport where you don't know when the championship's going to be won. Yeah, that's a good point. And it allows fans from all other teams to also come and enjoy the game as well. So obviously you're going to have your, you know, your fans of the two teams that are in the bowl, but then you're also going to have, you know, a certain percentage of the rest of the fans who just enjoy going to the bowl when it's, when it's close enough that they can travel to it. Yeah. And since it does move all around, you know, it works out pretty well. You spoke about the production of the show. I wanted to bitch about this minorly here. If I was a huge recording artist, let me ask you, if you were a huge recording artist, you know, platinum level, Grammys, whatever you want to call it, and they're like, Adam, we want you to come and do the the Super Bowl halftime show. Are you okay with the whole, all right, I got to do eight of my huge oh, like the songs. Mashup. And I got to do them all while I run around on stage right. and maybe rip my shirt couple, off. Couple outfit like, changes yeah, on the like fly. Yeah, like Adam Levine. Like, how would you want to approach that as a multi-platinum you know, platinum selling artist? How would you want to approach the halftime I show? I think they can't pass up the opportunity because A, it probably pays a lot. And B, it, the, ex- the exposure, like I said, the residuals. Like Shakira's going on tour right now. So like obviously that was well planned and lined up right. by her management people. Yeah, okay. So like... 
you know, it, it's and it's different than something that you you would probably ever do at one of your shows because, like you said, you got to do like eight of your most popular tracks in there's in these like thirty second mashups. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of production value and it gets you to. I think it allows you to create something unique and different because even though you're oh I like that song and it's over in thirty seconds, it's still it's still kind of cool how they mash it up. And you ever you notice as well there was a couple transitions that they used, but that were complete samples from songs that were not from their catalogs. Oh, okay. So that was kind of cool. I didn't notice that yeah. actually. So I don't know. It's 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 pretty unique, right? And and how often are they going to do something like that? So while it's difficult, but that's why. You know, they probably booked these people well over a year in advance. To oh, if for you, sure. If you see the amount of planning and production that goes into it, yeah, for Have sure. Have you ever seen the Lady Gaga documentary Five Foot Two? No. It's it's on uh, it's on Netflix, but it's being it's basically she's being followed throughout this point in time in her life before like his her Jolien album comes out, and uh, leading up it, it ends off with her Super Bowl performance. Oh, okay. And they they Which really give good, you a behind the, the scenes glimpse at how much work goes into those things, oh, especially fuck, yeah. when you're choreographing a dance with you know 30 people on stage yeah, or and multiple outfits so <laughs> yeah. you kind of got to see what she was going through and she was like hurting physically at this time too so she, a lot of it was like her doing like rehab right. and stuff like that but see like for me man if i'm if i'm the act that they want to come and perform at the super bowl i feel like i'm in charge they probably have a, a reasonable amount of creative control. But I'm I thinking. feel like I'm in charge. I would be like, listen, if I'm Sweet Child of Mine, or sorry, Sweet Child of Mine, if I'm Guns N' Roses, I'm coming in hot and I'm playing Sweet Child. The right. whole thing. The whole thing. And fuck off. Like, yeah. that's it. I guess that's it's easier all. if you're a pop star too because you're kind of blending sounds and it's not like you're a band playing uh, true. a song. It's, it, might be a little, it might be a little harder for you to pull that one off considering like the music is... is pretty much electronic and being played some of it is instrumental on bro they don't there. even sing well sometimes like i, like, I i'm not sure if they did or not i'm not shakira didn't that. even pretend to no, sing. you don't think so no i think j-lo had i was a little thrown off audio i'm always thrown off but i can never tell if it's like if it's just the way it looks or if they're actually doing it but there's so much focus on the dance so yeah I, I would put my life savings and maybe even my actual life on the fact that Shakira did not sing. Right. And I would also bet a large, sizable chunk of money that J-Lo had audio on her microphone, but only at certain times. Right. And that's the producer's job. For like certain notes that you can't or when slay. Yeah, or in between something where she goes, come on, everybody, let's right, go. Right, right, right. They, they, they turn up her microphones and then you're at home going, oh, she is singing. Yeah. No, she's not. It's just choreographed into the into the part of the I'm song. I'm willing to bet Lady Gaga sang. Oh, for sure. Well, I'm she's got one of the bet. greatest voices of yeah, all time. So. But like, I think it comes back to the style of music. You talked about the up and jump, uh, you know, the Latino style dance floor music. Uh, it works extremely well, obviously, in Miami. And they do have to cater to the locals. Yeah, that was yeah. really cool by the NFL to really cater to a, a different audience somewhat. Like, not to say that's, you know, music's not popular with everybody it's very hot very right. popular especially in in pop music dance music scenes these days but it, it is a, it was a really smart move for sure did you watch the uh commercials no i don't i, I don't really not i don't give a shit about commercials too bad because there was a pretty good one there's a couple of good ones i saw the there Pack. i saw the one with uh <laughs> with charlie from it's always sunny and oh that one annoyed me and uh the girl from schitt's creek it went on too long yeah, and then there was like another like crossover commercial. It was, it was in a later. Story. Yeah, it was a yeah. story that they told over. The I watched the TSN feed, so I only got like oh, I you see. only get a certain 
so piles. Did on. you see the the one with the smat pack? The high yeah. end yeah, Jim yeah. from Which, the office. Yeah, I saw that. That one, one was pretty fucking yeah. funny, man. He's like, "Hey, don't be a smat guy. I got my smat pack." Like, and then someone's <laughs> like, "Hey, you're not gonna fit in there." And they, "Don't worry, he's got the smat pack." Like, <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. That so was pretty good. All day, like basically yesterday. Well, not all day, but a bunch of times, Kirsty and I were chatting, and I'd be like, "Get that, get the cap, put the smat pack on." Like, it's pretty funny. That everyone loves having a, a good laugh at the expense of the Boston accent. No. Oh yeah. Who'd you, um, did you bet on anyone? No, I never do any of that shit. No, uh, now I wish what I would have done. Cause I was, I was pretty high on KC the whole time. Okay. Me and too. And yeah. when they were down in the third, and I, so I end up getting up and watching it eventually. Right. I just didn't really pay attention and then go back and kind of watch through it. And man, San Francisco was like celebrating up 10 points. Like in the third quarter after, especially after that, uh, that interception, that Mahomes threw. Like, oh, right. They yeah. were like completely like, oh, yeah, we fucking got this. And Mahomes, to be fair, wasn't having a great game and didn't look like he was on top of shit. But, man, a quarter of football is is pretty long. Like, yeah. I don't know. If, what did they think? They were going to run out the clock for the rest of that game? <laughs> well, and, that's and all were, that football is for fuck's sake. Kind of in some regards, yeah. But uh, that, was, that was pretty impressive. And I was pretty high on them. And I wish I would have bet because I guess there was some point towards the end of the third quarter where it was like a 96% chance win, or win, uh, percentage of 49ers winning the game. Yeah, okay. So if you would have laid some money down right there. Yeah, you throw, Kansas, you throw a 10 down yeah, and yeah. you come away with oh, like yeah. maybe a couple hundred dollars or something on your on your 10. You know, at That would have been a good time. Which still feels like a huge win. And then you got guys like, you know, some other guys out there that are just absolute degenerates laying down thousands upon thousands. And, yeah, it's the biggest gambling and... Well, gambling, prostitution, probably drug use day of the year down there. That was in Miami, man. I was going to say, oh. you're talking about the Super Bowl or just Miami? That party probably just ended like yesterday or like late this afternoon <laughs> yeah, today. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so I, I did, there was something I wanted to get to I, we didn't get to last week, and it was uh, the tweet of the week. So it's not really the tweet of this week. It's the tweet of last week, but I guess it is this week tweet as well. Tweet of the weeks. But uh, this one kind of made the... They, it made it around hockey Twitter, but there was a, a band, I guess. They're called uh, Half Moon Run, and they're from Montreal. So they're playing this, I guess, uh, due to play a show in Toronto. So they get a message in their Instagram DMs from this guy, I guess, who runs a, a beer league team in Toronto. So here's the message. I'm going to read it because it just really paints like the picture of how fucking ridiculous this is this is great so this is the guy the the hockey team guy writing to the band's dms he says hi guys we are a men's league hockey team in toronto a lot of our liberal hipster team members are missing our game on thursday for your show a bit last minute but is there any chance you guys would reschedule we are in first but the and it's blanked out (laughs) are hot on our tail we need the manpower thank you for your respectful consideration of our proposition keep it up and then, and then the next day, he, the guy messages again. They don't respond. He says, "Any update on your end?" <laughs> <laughs> like, this guy couldn't have been fucking serious, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, although he's the biggest hero, fucking like guy who runs a beer league team in all of Canada. The first message leads me to believe that he's just, you know, it's a funny joke, right? But then the any update on your end follow up message yeah. is like maybe he was actually kind of holding out for uh, a, a postponing of the show. Like 
some band that's on tour from out of town is gonna be like, yeah, actually, this show we've had booked for six months. Yeah, we'll move it for your beer league game, guys. Yeah, and the other thing too is like, if you're gonna ask them to postpone their show, maybe don't slap them in the face at the same time. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and say that you know a lot of our liberal hipster team members. Yeah. Like, so clearly, <laughs> you're catering to the liberal hipster crowd with their toques half on, right? And oh signs God. all over the place. Like that's pretty fucking funny, man. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious, and they, they so they screen capped it and put it out on their Twitter, and it was the band did around. right. Yeah, the band posted. I it. wonder if the guy had a response. Yeah, he, I'm interested to see if he must have this been guy in there. Caught wind of the band posting this. I assume if half his liberal hipster teammates or fans, they would have seen it somewhere on social media. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put up a stink about <laughs> I, they'd it. They probably have a good laugh over that. Yeah, for um, sure. Anyway, I want to get uh, into the Battle of Alberta. Uh, we did kind of talk about it a little bit early off the top but um i actually managed to stay up for the hockey game hanging out with my boys there in north bay and uh yeah we were on our feet like and there was goals in this game it was hard hitting it had that you know once again that playoff like atmosphere and then all hell broke loose and this i believe after edmonton was blowing the doors off them a little bit yeah, they had opened it up by yeah. that, by that time. But once I saw Talbot get involved, uh, he, he what he chased the guy behind the net there in, in this, the initial scrum. But uh, I, when I saw once I saw Talbot, I'm like, oh, it's like where's Smith? Where yeah. what's he doing? And then because they hadn't cut away to like show you what was up, and then it cut away, and he was at center, just standing it's there, like, goalie fight, almost standing there like Ken Dryden with the stick up. And yeah, he was, he was wait, waiting, waiting on him. him. Yeah, yeah, so that was that was pretty wild. Man, he's a monster. Like he. Oh, he's he, a big he, guy. He fed Talbot pretty good. Yeah, he did. He definitely. I guess won Talbot the fight. in the post game was saying he wasn't too surprised and wasn't exactly the the best guy to get into it with. But but also he said that he always wanted to be yeah, in a goalie fight. So I was gonna say he always wanted to be in one. So like maybe it's too bad that he couldn't uh, get matched up against someone else, you know, instead of uh, big strong Mike Smith because Mike Smith obviously been around the league for many many years. But you know he's. Uh, He's good. He's got talents all the way around Lesko. The guy can score goals. Like he can uh, be a an extra defenseman back there helping with breakouts. Yeah. Like he's really handy with the puck and then he can obviously throw down as well. So really exciting fight and it was uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, that reflected in that call right off the intro there. Now I had a look at the uh, box scores to have a look at all the pims that were handed out in that sequence. Now, most interestingly, uh, Talbot ended up with 21 minutes in penalties, while Mike Smith only ended up with 12, according to what I was looking at, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So here's t- here's the breakdown for uh, Talbot's pe- penalty minutes in this situation. So we got a 10-minute misconduct. He got five for fighting. He got two for goalie interference. What? Yeah. They both him and Mike Smith got goalie interference penalties. That is so dumb. It is super dumb. Like, what, so what's dumb. the point of that? So anyway, <laughs> Talbot also got two for roughing and two more for roughing. So he got separate roughing penalties. Well, that's okay that though sequence. because he really well, he did. was involved. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I'm just. I get some of it. The goalie interference thing is silly. Who did he get the other? Did he get like double minor roughing kind of deal in that initial scrum? But then Smith only has two minutes for goalie interference and ten minute misconduct. He doesn't. He doesn't appear to get a penalty for or fighting for some reason. I was going to say neither of them got and fighting. That, that might have no. Uh, Talbot had a fighting on and the box. Smitty score, didn't. But Smith didn't. That's weird. They fucked it up. There must have been. They had to have fucked yeah. it up. 
and I don't mean like where you found your thing. It might have been the way they. It might have been the way the, way they, the referee yeah, told it to they, the time. It got people. recorded. Yeah, because they actually ended up stopping the period, didn't they? There was like nine seconds left in the period. Yeah, I think they just they set stopped them the off period because everyone was all hot and bothered, and yeah. yelling and shit. So it's what I'm getting at is you know you stop the period early. I know it's only nine seconds, but you probably have the ability to maybe just go into the penalty box and be like, all right, listen, Doug or, or whoever, this is what I got for you. And then give them the list of the penalties. But yeah, that seems really strange. 70 year old in the box didn't write it down. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, piece of trivia for you as well. Um, that was the first goalie fight since 2013. Who are the two combatants in that fight? I want to say Smitty was involved. My guess might be Smith. Okay, who's who's the other one? I have no idea. Am I right on Smith? No. Damn. I have no idea then. <laughs> okay, we'll just You got anything else? No. No guesses whatsoever. No, just okay. tell me. Well, bad podcasting. Them, well, come on. One of them is like <laughs> if you're going to think goalie fights, who comes to mind? I don't know. Oh, for fuck's sake, Ray Emery, man. Oh, of course. Jesus oh, Christ. Of course. Okay, well, whatever, fuck. Don't well, spring that shit on me. Uh, come on. Like, that's... <laughs> goalie fights. Yeah, true. Anyway, but... Yeah, uh, but you get... So you, it, refer, you refer it by the year, and then you start the wheels turning, and then you blank. Right. That's why those game shows well, are... Well, it's like, I can't... I couldn't name a specific fight from 2013. Yeah. It was but, a long fucking time but ago. But that's why, that's why those game shows are often much easier than they seem, because you're like... It's light bulb, you idiot! But like, meanwhile, you have no idea. You're thinking something else, and then yeah. you can't even pull it out of thin air. So, so. it was Brayden Holtby versus Ray Emery. Was Holtby the last and Emery. Fight. Oh, I yeah. do remember that. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And Emery got into quite a few in his time too. He did. Yes, yeah. quite a few. That was, a, I think, one of his favorite pastimes. Of yeah, the, the game one with Peter. Scrapping. The one with Peters. Well, he, well, he fought. Uh, he fought Peters. He fought. Was it? And then the Tendy. Who was the Tendy he fought? I can't remember. Was it Marty Buron? Buron. It was, was Marty it? Buron. Yes, it was a hundred percent. It was Andrew Peter Peters and then Marty Buron. Yeah. Back to back. Fought them back to back. Back to back. <laughs> yeah, and was laughing, smiling was the whole laughing. time. What a beauty! What a fucking beauty! Uh, so. The next story I want to move on to was um, the Justice for Gritty that was recently announced. Uh, most interestingly to me during this story of Gritty allegedly assaulting a child was, so I guess the Philly police the other day had cleared Gritty of all potential wrongdoing. He's all good. He was investigated. Um, but all the media articles that you read or news bits that you hear just refer to him as Gritty as if... As there's if it's no, not a guy. <laughs> As if there's not a guy in a suit. It's not a guy in a suit. It's like Santa Claus sort of thing at this point with Gritty. Like it's... Gritty is... Gritty is Gritty. Therefore, he is. Yeah, exactly. There's no <laughs> guy in a suit with Gritty. It's just he is... And was referred to by Gritty in everything I read. Nowhere did I see... Mr. 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 Guy who dresses up as Gritty is being <laughs> investigated. No, it was... Yeah, that is strange because, you know, while you are a faceless person in there, you know, let's say you actually committed some fucking assault here. Like, like what happened when the detectives of the Philly police showed up to the rink to, uh, to, to detain gritty and question him. Did he just sit there with the fucking suit on and just, Oh my and, God, dude. That you know, is wave so his fucking funny. giant hips around and the googly <laughs> eyes and all that. He's got the drum and they're like, listen, gritty, Bang the drum once for no and twice for yes. <laughs> so they ask him a question. Did you assault the child? Hey, just sits there shaking his big dopey head with the eyes go back and forth. No. You know, the funny thing that I remember hearing uh, through the media was someone had said, if, if this goes to court and Gritty's called to the stand, can we please have it be 
<clears throat> excuse me, the actual like gritty, like in his costume, in his costume not, in not the dude. Like how how would it even be addressed? You know, it, we never got that far. We'll find out how savage Philly's marketing department really is because they could make some great skits. Oh, out of that. Oh, they definitely could. Of like Gritty going to court and Gritty like getting arrested and shit like that. Borrow someone else's kid who's going to let Gritty punch him in the back. Yeah. For, for a skit. The Gritty true co- crime story. <laughs> I'd watch that. An eight part series on Netflix. True crimes featuring Gritty. That's fucking hilarious. Oh yeah. Good story. Uh, so Dustin Bufflin's back in the news. I, I wanted to hit this story just because we did talk about it a lot earlier on in the season. Uh, so right now, apparently, he and the Winnipeg Jets are working on a contract termination. Uh, basically, he'll be forfeiting uh, $8 million this season and $6 million the next uh, from the two remaining years on his deal. Uh, so and allegedly now, the grievance is closing with the NHL and the PA so it seems that I don't know what do you get what kind of read do you get on the situation because I feel like does this mean he just doesn't want to play and is willing to walk away or does he want to sign somewhere else in that like I don't want to play for the Jets and this is my way of getting out of here I think at the end of the day he was either talked into or not coerced but you know persuaded perhaps to do the right thing in this instance and doing the right thing is to terminate this contract and alleviate the Jets from their financial responsibility to the player because the player never had an interest in actually playing the game, but because he didn't report to camp, the Jets didn't have the ability to put the contract on LTIR. So he essentially did screw them over here on this contract. Whether he did it on purpose or not is is neither here nor there. Today, February 4, 2020, is a day that he realizes what he's done to the organization and what position they are in as a result of his decision to not play. So well, I wonder how I much see. fighting went on behind the scenes, you know, with his lawyer or whatever before well, he, he came to this decision. That fourteen mil, right? And but he was filed a grievance against the NHL and the NHLPA over not being paid and being suspended and whatever. Um, you know, it might have been looking into those rules, like you said, being ineligible for LTIR or, you know, thinking that he was going to find a way to get paid and then realize he wasn't going to or he was going to lose it fighting the NHL, fighting this grievance. And cost more money that And then way. just basically just said, okay, fuck it, I'll cut loose because I don't want to play anyway or I'm not, yeah. in, I'm not in a position to play. I don't think he's in any position to play. I, I hear a lot of talk. Uh, well, everyone know. assumes he's, he's probably pushing, you know, Three hundo or something. Oh my right god! Now. The guy doesn't even come to camp in shape when he does want to play. Right. So it's like, what's he going to look like now? And nobody is under the impression he's been skating. But you know what's going to be interesting about this is is we don't really know at the end of the day if he is in shape or if he's been working out or whatever. But teams are definitely going to call to find out. Oh, for sure. Like if that contract gets terminated, day one his agent's phone's getting blown up. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, but it would be PTOs at best. I right? don't know. I think I think you'd have to fight for his services. You think so? You're so? going to have to throw money at him. Well, I'm not. Not a ton of money. Fuck that. Not a ton of money. Like, what are you talking about? A ton? I wouldn't be willing to go over league min for a guy that I have no I have no guarantees on this guy. Right. I don't even know if he wants to fucking play because he already had a contract before on a good team and he didn't want to play for them either. Right. So what am I going to go out and just fucking offer this guy four and a half mil because the other team offered him four? That's I think that's 
nonsensical for any GM out there to be like, I want to get ahead of this. I want Dustin Bufflin. But you know what? Let's go. If someone does and they offer him the cash and he comes back and plays and he's, he's a, even if he's a, you know, an 80% Dustin Bufflin, I'll still take that over the likes of a Cody CC <laughs> or other, you know, insert other options that you could, right. that you could remove. So obviously, you know, I don't want to sit here and make it sound like I'm putting the cap on Dustin Bufflin and he'll never play again, but I am on the buyer beware side. And if yeah. someone throws a contract at him and he comes back and he is really pivotal for them and plays really well, then I will gladly admit that I was wrong and I will gladly pat that GM on the back, you know? Um, but at this point in time, there's just there's just no way. It's very similar to the Kovalchuk situation. Not in the sense that, you know, Kovalchuk didn't want to play or whatever, but it's still buyer beware. I would I would be, I would have been buyer beware on Kovalchuk and I'm even more buyer beware on Dustin Bufflin. Yeah, I'd imagine if if the price started to get driven up a little bit, uh, you know, given if there were a number of teams looking at him that he was potentially interested in signing with, that you would have to get some kind of certain assurances in terms of like a physical or whatever, so you knew what you were going after. That's a good point. And, and that might just pass? be part of regular due diligence. I don't know enough about contracts to say, but it sounds like regardless of what you're paying this guy, you want some assurances for your investment. But I did read that he passed the end of season physical. So he left the NHL season right. as a pass, which means barring any sort of off-season shenanigans, which as we all know, a guy like Dustin Bufflin can engage upon. Well, that's, all I hear know, is... You he know that he good. wants to drink beer and fish. So then let him if he's been doing fish. a lot of that, then I, I, you know, I like to drink beer and fish in the summer, and I don't spend any time in the gym. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fine, but you're not whatever he is. Six, I'd choose, six, four, I would choose the fishing over the gym anytime. He's got almost a foot on you, and probably another hundred and some pounds. Like two hundred pounds, man. <laughs> two hundred pounds. <laughs> right. Well, game shape, maybe. Game yeah. Okay. Shape. So he's he's like. If he's say he's sporting around three hundred, that's like double my weight. Yeah, so. easily. Speaking okay. of which, you're gonna carry that uh, one fifty frame around the ice uh, in a couple hours. Tuesday night hockey. Hopefully, we got puck tonight. I we got Nick Alberga tonight. We got hockey tonight. It's gonna be uh, it's a pretty pretty heavy night. You know what else? Uh, I hate to go off topic here, but actually, I kind of love it. I made dinner tonight for starters, like fully, completely, and I fucking rocked it, bro. I made black bean and corn uh quesadillas with fucking red peppers and onions and garlic and yellow peppers and a whole bunch of other seasoning and whatnot and they were like i'm telling you they were right out of the fucking restaurant from gordon ramsay's kitchen that good eh? just fantastic i said to kirsty i'm like well because we had to eat early because you know you had to come over early we got to get nick on in a little bit got to go to hockey tonight so it's all bang 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 but I was sitting over there chopping up all the veggies and Kiersey's not home from work yet. So I got the tunes going and I'm just making all this meal and I'm cooking it up. And I'm like, man, this smells good. You know, lay the pita thing down or whatever the fuck it is. Quesadilla shell, flip it over a couple flips. It's That's super pretty easy. impressive. It's super easy. Like, But I'm, you pulled that off in a short period of time. Yeah. I don't know what time you got home, but like, you know what I had for dinner? I had, so I had these noodles, right? Okay. <laughs> you crunch them up? No, no, there's noodles. Like I got noodles, you boil them in a pot there, and then you put like uh, some butter and some milk and then cheese sauce in. It's called craft fucking dinner. Oh, <laughs> nice, buddy. I hear it. But yeah. So that's what I managed to throw together. I was all excited about it mainly because like, as you know, and as some of our listeners know, I'm like, you know, Kirsty and I are, are plant-based here. 
So we don't have any meats or any dairy products, cheese and milk and all that bullshit. So like I was just pumped up that for my first effort really as an individual to start dinner from like scratch to the end and not have, you know, chicken bites or chicken nuggets <laughs> or something, steak uh, bites to fry up or something like that. Like it was just straight from the fridge. Uh, well, basically straight from the ground into the pan and then into my guts. And it was so unbelievably delicious. Like I'm telling you, bro, it's going, the world's going plant-based. We're going there. It might take a while, but we're fucking going there. Why? Because you can cook that way. No, and it's that easy. Well, now? that too. That's is that, a, is that what makes now you think that like you. That's a good point. You can do it. Anyone can do it. I I used to think if I can do it, anyone can do it. In terms of when people say like, oh, I can't do that because I love chicken or I love steak or I love bacon. I think I, I was a huge like anything from a pig, bacon, ham, pork chops. Like those were my jam, and I specifically said. There's no fucking way you will ever take bacon away from me. When Kirsty said, I want to go plant-based and I think you should try it too. You know, you're north of 30 and you like doing all these sports. It'll probably be a really good thing for your recovery and your muscles and all that stuff. And I'm like, nah, you know, I'm good. Like I'm good with- I think that's where I'm at. It's I'm like, good with slowing and it, down and still having bacon. But now that I've really transitioned, man, and I don't have any of that shit, I don't miss it. And the food that we eat is so fucking good. Like it's so good. I eat it all and we're supposed to have leftovers and then we don't because I eat it all. Whereas before, I think the easy thought process is like, oh man, I got to eat this shit, you know? And then you have leftovers. No, fuck, I have to have these leftovers. No, it's not like that. It's like yeah. if you make it well enough, then it's fucking You most good. definitely have to step your cooking game up significantly. Yeah. You do. yeah. If that's how you're going to eat for sure. But it becomes fun too because I'm like looking through the spice rack, man, and I'm like, I, I'm smelling things. Like, I don't even know what time is. T-H-Y-M-E. I don't even know what that is. But I took the lid off of it and I, I sniffed it. And I was like, this, this will go. And I'm just fucking hammering the spices to these veggies and sauteing them and everything. And I'm, I'm like, I feel like a chef. The only thing that's missing is a pan in the top right corner with pro, like protein on it, chicken or fish or something, right. right? Like, I just we don't have that on it. So it's not really a big deal. What about fish? No, no animals. No, no fish no, whatsoever. No animal product. And, and, and by the bad. way, for the listeners who are like, what a fucking idiot. Cheat. It, it has nothing to do with like PETA or PETA or whatever, <laughs> like whatever that organization is. Like, I, I don't care about animals. The, the food chain exists. <laughs> I'm okay with the food chain. I don't uh, care that animals are like, you know, considered food and slaughtered for food. Take that argument elsewhere. I'm only doing what wanna, I do for health reasons. You think you're a sissy PETA nah, guy? Not, not, I don't even want to label it as sissy. I just, I just want to make sure that like right. everyone knows if I'm they're just, wondering, it's literally health related. I do a lot of fucking sports. I'm pretty active. I'm 33 now. And I know that in the next whatever, 5, 10, 15 years, I'm going to expect a severe slowdown in my ability to, you know, keep my weekly activities up and i don't really want to have that happen i see guys and gals get injured a lot at older ages and, and i'm not only saying that they're getting injured because of what they eat but i do know that you know science will show you that whatever you eat is obviously integral uh with with your health so like I, i'm excited it's been like maybe i don't know six eight months like it's been a long time now and i you can should like, run a separate podcast on this topic yeah kirsty and i have laughed about that <laughs> you before. got you guys can have your vegan fucking super plant podcast there yeah but it's no good when when you're both that way like i i have always enjoyed briefly talking to, to right. you about it on the podcast because you're not that way and, and much like my former self i would have laughy jokey questions to ask you you know if you were that way how was your tofu meal 
you sissy. You know, <laughs> I suppose I could do it. I just wouldn't do it. I think. Yeah. At see, and I used to day, think that just, way too. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't have done. I don't it mind eating like Kirstie. more vegetables and yeah. shit. Like I'm, I'm not opposed to that or anything. But I don't know. It's like totally breaking everything down and rethinking the way you've been eating for your entire life. I think, I think that sounds super drastic, but. Um, do you think the reason why Kasperi Kapanen slept in was because he had too much meat the night before, <laughs> or was it something else? <laughs> uh, that's Did he funny. Not, maybe if he was eating plant-based, he would have recovered fast enough to wake up on time for practice. Potentially. <laughs> potentially. I can't remember who it was. Someone They were talking about someone at the Super Bowl. They were plant-based. It kind of comes out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere where they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, this person's plant-based. And Kirsten and I will be like, boom, like another beauty plant-based. Like when we were talking about Tom Brady being plant-based, like that guy's a goddamn legend. Everybody loves him or hates him, and that's why he's a legend. Zidane Chera, another big, tall bastard still playing in the NHL, credits being plant-based for that ability to do so. So it's all about being older. I think that's all it is. Like if you're 23 and you're listening right now, go get a fucking cheeseburger. Like <laughs> go get a cheeseburger. I don't care. Like I had I had 32 Big Macs in 30 days when I was younger. I was trying to go for a record. Like you went like supersize me? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, wow. I just, my friends and I, they said I couldn't have uh, 25. They thought I'd, I'd choke out at 25. I was I like, when did it 32. start to get like, I don't want this, but I'm going to keep doing it because you the just last don't week, back down. The last week, I didn't want any more the last week. It was a really long time ago. It's hard to remember exactly. But and then how remember. long after before you had another one? I, I haven't. You haven't since that time? So not. you ruined it for I yourself. I ruined it. Yeah. So you were like, oh, I love Big Macs so much. I'm going to eat them. them. 30 days and your body's like here yeah but you can't how about that and you ruined it i did it though wow. i had 32 of them and i have never had one since Jesus. now now of course i won't have one now because of my diet decision or whatever but even if i hadn't you know gone to a plant-based diet or whatever i would not have a big mac i would r- much rather get a quarter pounder or just like seven cheeseburgers right, right. instead, of one, cheese instead of one one dirty ass big mac yeah, after yeah. that fucking, i hear yeah it was terrible anyway uh so interestingly enough, I guess last minute scratch happening on Saturday. Of course, we're all like, what the hell happened here? Some people all of a sudden start, because he was in recent trade talk or rumors, I guess, or. Oh, traded. Yeah. Oh, yeah like, he's traded. fucking traded and whatever. And turns out he was late for a team function and they alluded that it was not the first time this had occurred. Now, I gathered that Kapanen seems to be the type of a guy to enjoy himself a little bit off the ice. Uh, I believe the term that uh, Friedman used to describe was he loves life. He said, "So he is a free spirit." Yeah, and he's always like he, he's floating around social media all the time. Like yeah. you can tell he's he's living it up quite a bit, and with his uh, Insta models and all that, oh, yeah. that he cycles through on a weekly basis. <laughs> Are you gonna make your joke, or do you want me to make it? Oh yeah, Casperi <laughs> Napanen. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was reading the prep today at work and I fucking laughed. Like I actually laughed out, blurted out loud laughing. Casperi Napanin. I love it. Because that's a, obviously that what was he was an easy doing. One. Yeah. yeah, I guess it was an easy one. But uh, low-hanging fruit sometimes is the best tasting, right? And it was interesting that Keith shifted the heat to him because he's like, well, I'll talk about after the game. He's like, well, internal accountability issue. And then he's like, he'll, maybe he'll talk to you about it on Monday. And yeah. it's put him on the spot, eh? Like, you, you go deal with the wolves here. Off you go. Yeah, it's true. So though. that was kind of a, a, a interesting way and probably the right way, I would say, of yeah. doing that because you don't take accountability for your actions. Here you go. I'm not going to talk about what you did. You go tell them what you did. Yeah, and that level of accountability has always existed for a coach like Sheldon Keefe. I mean, we're talking about back in the day, 
Um, you know, I remember specifically being at an outdoor rink with a couple of buds and one of the Lumber Kings was there and he knew me from my volunteer work with the Lumber Kings. And he's like, yo, Coley, he's like, don't tell anyone I'm here, man, especially Sheldon. Like I'm in the doghouse right now. Don't tell him. Sure enough, Sheldon shows up at the fucking rink. Like not even, a, I don't know, maybe 20, 10, 20 minutes later. It was almost right after we talked. Sheldon shows up. Hey guys, what's going on? There's fucking buddy skating around. Oh yeah. Hey, see, I practice tomorrow. Bag skated. Apparently, like <laughs> I don't know the exact story, but bag skated the whole team. Oh yeah. And it was based on this guy's decision to, you know, ignore ignore the rules. Right. Don't be going and dicking around uh, on a night. Maybe it was on a game night or whatever the rules were. He wasn't supposed to be there. Right. And Sheldon fucking nailed him, and then made the whole team pay. Like the accountability is. Is really some. I don't think they would do that necessarily at, at the NHL level. No, uh, punish not. the whole team, but yeah, I mean, he he put Kapanen in the spotlight. And did you see anything? Like, did you see like Kapanen's uh, responses to any questions? I, I didn't have a chance to. Catch well, it. I, they asked him like pretty much in different ways numerous times what what happened, why, what happened, why he really late, and he just kind of eventually got kind of fed up too. He's like, I listen. That's I told you what happened. Like. You can just keep asking me, like, yeah. so you know, welcome to Toronto. Something about oh, whatever, alar- didn't alarm set, whatever. But it's, it's, I mean, practice at ten or eleven a.m. usually. So yeah, that's what they were saying on. It's on like, okay, hey, well, eh? what like, were you up to then? Like, because <laughs> you, I mean, it's not eight a.m. practice we're talking about here that you're late for. So it's it's a little bit unacceptable. All these guys got condos downtown. Um, it's not that big of a deal, I think, in the grand scheme of things. There might be more to it than we know, and we might find out at a later date. But it just sounds like this is is, and I get the impression this might be harken back to the Kadri situation, where yeah. Kadri was partially suspended not just for being late that time, but because there was a pattern of behavior that they did not like from him off the ice. And so it, they were they, this was a, like a hey wake up moment. Like we're putting you on the spot here. We're singling you out not just in front of the your teammates, but the fan base and the media, like you, you got to, we're putting you on the spot here. Well, and you brought it up earlier with Elliot Friedman when he described him as a, a real lover of life, you know, and that is a good way to put it. It's also a sugar Cody way to put it because, you know, if you're, if you want to be a pro in this league and you want to succeed, then you have to have a certain level of, you know, willpower and the ability to abstain from extracurriculars that may or may not inhibit your ability to perform to the best of your abilities right right Right. and some pros out there let's go i think probably a lot of pros out there struggle with that decision especially early in their careers and a guy like kapanen one of his go-to things let's go as we all know is speed well what's the first thing to go as you get as you get older in your nhl career your speed your legs, and yeah. your legs. So if you're if your money maker is your speed and your legs, then man, you got to be fucking dedicated, nose down, ready to come to work every time, team first, be, you know, treat your body as well as you can, work out, drive to be the best player you can be because if you're slacking off a little bit, it, it'll come to an end real fast. And then all of a sudden you're 29 or 30, 31 years old and your NHL career has hit a twilight zone and you're wondering why. That's a lot to extrapolate. Well, I mean, I'm just <laughs> at this point in time as a young player, you got to fucking be prepared, man. You're right. And and sometimes there is a fork in the road at an early point in their careers where they've got to if it's it, it's one of those moments and and I'm pretty sure Kadri had spoken on this topic 
that he was quite grateful for what the team did at that point in time when they did it for him to get him because on the straight if you and look narrow. At, yeah, you look at the path Kadri took and the where his career went from there and what he became on the ice. That's where he really settled in and really made something of himself and made a name for himself in the NHL and you know putting up 30 goals and and rounding out to being a strong two-way center and a shutdown guy which yeah, he was, was supposed to be offensive right but he learned to be kind of both and well yeah while scoring 30 goals a season yeah. so it, you know that that was a bit of a turning point for them so it's interesting because there was a lot that went into that and I think Kadri had kind of gotten away with a lot over the years I mean Kapanen does not have as much of a history with the team right now but by the sounds of things, there has been some previous events. One that he had mentioned uh, missing a practice or being late for a practice in the minors. Uh, so this is obviously a pattern for Kasperi Kapanen, not just uh, some recent behaviors. Yeah, and I mean, at this point in time, we've talked about it recently, Lesko. I don't think anybody on this Leafs roster wants to leave. Regardless of, you know, we're not in a playoff position, blah, blah, blah. I think everyone that's involved right now can see the success that is hopefully imminent uh, for the team. Like they're, they're they are still trending up. They have been for many years, where it was a straight downward spiral, and then we lived in the basement for a while, and now we're we're still on the up and up. Uh, our our core guys are gaining more experience in this league, and I don't think anybody wants to leave. And if you're gonna make mistakes like this and show, you know, not only the ownership but you know, a little bit closer to home, like your coach and your teammates that you're not fully invested, then they'll fucking trade your ass. And you are a pretty valuable asset too. So it won't be difficult to move you. It may be a little bit more difficult if you don't like to wake up in time for practice, but it won't be impossible to move you. And again, like I just said, before you know it, you'll be on the outside looking in going, fuck me. I had a, I had a, I had a golden seat right there with the Leafs in their top six. And now I'm fucking traded because of my fuckery. Well, you got to think too with the trade rumors going on that that would, you know, you might be on pins and needles a little bit there. So uh, you would think that that would have some impact on his decision making uh, this season. I guess the biggest story, though, and we spend a lot of time on that Kapanen one, but the biggest story right now in Leafland is most definitely the injury to Frederick Anderson. Uh, I was a little relieved to find out today that it was a neck strain, not uh, a concussion, which can be kind of predict unpredictable in the terms of t- in terms of a timeline. So it sounds like he's day to day for now. He's not going to New York for the game tomorrow, but uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised if he's back within a week or even by the weekend. I don't know how to approach it. I don't want to be negative guy right now, but they said that Sidney Crosby was out with a neck strain. Yeah, and then that, he missed that, whole that was also season. eight years ago when they were really bad at dealing with concussions, right? Yeah, I guess that's a good point. That's a fair point too. It's just for me, it's um, I don't want to. I don't want to quickly. I don't want to move on so quickly from the head issues. You know, when we are talking about a, a neck, because of course, as you know, they can they can lead to one another, you know, a neck problem can lead to some form of trauma, you know, relating to your brain. I don't know if it's nerve endings or whatever. So I'm a little nervous about it. And I think the reason being is because the collision with Vetrano wasn't, I don't think that was exactly where that injury occurred. There was another point in time in the game where he was just ever so slightly brushed right in the head by a Florida player who was skating into the far corner. And he 
looked out of it for like well, he was down for seconds. a little bit so i was thinking at first there was something else going on like it was he like did he hurt his hand was he his leg or something like that because he was kind of sitting there for a little bit so he must have been uncomfortable or something and then I, you know, a lot of time i assume when, when guys have you know neck injuries like this and or to go down with a head injury and it turns out it's not a concussion that it's like you know a whiplash or uh, uh you know you pulled a muscle a little bit in your neck so um, I would imagine that's probably what it is. Uh, I figured it had to be serious, pretty serious though at the time for him to have to come out of a game of that importance last night. Yeah, and if we're taking any real positives out for me, it's the fact that according to Sheldon Keefe, he passed the protocol that was determined, or sorry, mandated at the time of the incident, or I guess once he came forth and said, hey, I'm not really feeling it. They must have, you know, said, okay, come with us. Did the concussion protocol and he did pass. So, I mean, as we all know, though, these things can kind of fester a little bit. So that I guess that's also why Keith was saying, we'll see how he feels in the morning. You know, get a nice shower, get a nice sleep, wake up in the morning. And all of a sudden, if he wakes up and he's feeling like he's on another planet, well, then we got some fucking problems. Yeah, he's probably stiff. I'm not really going to be too concerned about concussion, just given that, you know, he did pass the protocol and they do have, you know, I one of the better medical staffs and they know a lot more about this stuff than they used to. So I'm not getting too worried about it. Well, if you're what I worried- am more worried about is just, you know, obviously we're back on the backup goaltender situation after that performance last night uh, in a game that, as we talked about earlier, they had every right winning that hockey game. You know, it's, it, they, they earned a better fate in that game and seemed to kind of lose it on two like, horrendous goals that ne- never should have went in one because of a bad play by Cody CC and one because I-, I don't know. I don't know how the puck goes in on the, on the Hoffman one. Oh, I, you're not, so you're not even bringing up their, whatever goal they had where it was the worst rebound he's ever given up in his career. And then he tries to fucking, he tries to swat it away. Well, I'm already, stick. I'm already mad about like that on that so certain garbage. goal was the, was the Cody CC pass, man. What, what, I don't think I've seen a worse pass in the NHL. He, he back passed it to Owen. No to, one. To, to, yeah. To the side <laughs> of the net slash like Hutchinson's like, what are you doing? Like, I don't what know what to doing? do with this. Like it was supposed to be, I guess a behind the net bank to Sandine, but Holy crap. Like that was a, that was a ridiculous giveaway on one four checker coming down on him. They, they had full control and possession of the puck in their own end. Never should have happened. So at what point do we stop bitching about, Cody CC specifically and start asking the tough questions about, you know, management and, and coaching. Cause you know, as everyone knows, I'm over here just stroking Keefe off at every fucking opportunity I have, but here's an opportunity for me to start asking some goddamn questions. Like at what point are we done trying to, you know, expose Cody CC for a trade market or increase his trade value by playing him in certain condi- like certain scenarios where we don't want him out there. Like at some point it becomes less about Cody CC the player and more about coaching and management for deciding to put this guy in the fucking lineup night after night. I mean, I know we don't have great other options, let's go, but I mean, Jesus, at this point, can we not flip a fucking fourth round pick for some guy that's in the end of his career that can come over and play some hockey for us here? You got to think that there's something out there, but I mean, right hand D's are so hard to come by. And it seems that, you know, I know that they've had to, to all the coaches and 
Dubas has had to defend CC at times. You know, I, I'm fed up with it, but it's weird because there's been this chorus of commentary throughout the season saying, oh, yeah, when are they, they're just going to trade him. When are they going to trade him? Well, he's going to be gone by the deadline anyway. The value has only probably gone down on this guy, I feel like, especially given just the last game that he had. I mean, that kind of shit is so magnified, and especially because of the ramifications of that hockey game. The fact that they were up against a team that they had to beat and it was very critical to the playoff race, and like I said, they, they essentially lost on, on mistakes than two players. Like A guy has to save some of those pucks, and another guy's got to not completely botch a possession like that. I, I don't know. I don't know what to think, man. I, I was chatting in one of my groups and I'm usually the uh, positive guy, positive Coley coming in to, you know, talk everyone off the ledge. And the boys, it was actually Hobson, friend of the show, Alex Hobson. He says, you know, Coley, get in here and fucking make some sense out of this and give us some positivity here. I go in immediately. I have none to give was my response. Like at this point in time, I'm not saying that I'm, hitting a panic button because I don't think it's fair to use the term panic because we don't really have an opportunity to to panic given the shitty start to the year and the big transition. Are we going to fire the coach? Are we not? We talked about it for a fucking month and then it happened and now it was like, okay, great. We got our breath of fresh air. We got our little jump start that often happens when you make a change like that, right? But that jump start carried over and the record has been great uh since Sheldon has come in special teams have been great since he's came in yes we're going to see some deficiencies and i think at the end of the day let's go if you if you prorate what we're seeing right now over an 82 game schedule a game like against the panthers that we just saw last night losing our goaltender sucks yeah but i don't think we're going to be on a fucking ledge like well, we are it, now. It would have less implications in, in a different scenario. Like you said, you take that pace and spread it over an 82 games. It's a blip. You know, because of the hole that they they dug for themselves in the first month or a couple, whatever it was, a couple months of the season, those these games have way more, carry way more weight than, than they would otherwise. And really, at the end of the day, they play three games in the next four nights. We could have totally forgotten it by then. And I think a big part of it, hopefully, is is Hutchinson backs back, uh, bounces back because in games at least where he started recently, he's been pretty good. He was yeah. pretty good against Ottawa on Saturday, but it seems that coming off the pine, especially against Florida, apparently, because the <laughs> last time we played Florida, he posted like a seven twenty six coming in relief. Yeah, so that's not great either. But I, I have zero confidence moving forward. And I I'm, I'm concerned about the level of confidence that the team has in in a guy like him because. I, I certainly don't believe he's earned the fans' confidence yet. Like, I was nervous as soon as I realized he was in the net last night. Oh, Because I, I actually didn't realize I was up and about puttering when, yeah. when they, I guess they talked about Anderson coming out in the, just the beginning of the period. Right. And then they say Hutchinson. I'm like, what? What? What happened? Like, I, I was all panicking. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, Anderson looked like he was laboring earlier. Yeah. Plus, he got run into. Right. So, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, he's, he's hurt. Right? I sent out multiple messages that were to the effect of, you know, game over season over like yeah if he's down so you're yeah. in major overreaction yeah but is it overreaction if we don't have freddie oh if freddie's over like season done. season over yeah if we don't well, have freddie we're absolutely done and to be honest let's go even if we do have freddie we are still nowhere near right. out of the woods right. yet right so They're it's right in the really thick of it. fucking bad as as, the, as early as tomorrow 
with Hutchinson starting, the only good thing about this let's go is for the fan in me and the fantasy hockey player in me that has Austin Matthews. My only positive note to take away from this is that we're going to go into tomorrow night's game full on fucking score. It's points night and we're going to win seven, six, but who cares? Cause we'll win. So I don't know if it's easier for Keith to try and shield the poor goaltending play and some shoddy defensive play, or maybe he should just say, fuck it. And let's try and pump in seven or eight goals tonight because we're going to give up five or six. I I don't know where you draw the line there, but I think one of those two things is going to have to happen. I don't know if it can be a mixture of both. They pretty much got to do what they did last night. They played fantastic team defense. Like He made a one comment after the game where he said it was one of our best defensive games of the year, and 99% of the time you win that game. And I think he's right about that. And that's also the right message to, to drive home, not just publicly to the media and to the fans, but to the team in your dressing room. Because whereas that, that's that was a kick in the pants last night. That was, a, that was a kick in the balls. Like that loss hurt pretty bad. And I think that's why a lot of people are freaking out because it was an important game. They played well and deserved to win and yet still found a way to lose. So it was super frustrating. So I'm hoping that the team, uh, the team has the right mentality coming out of this game that, you know what we did a lot of, there's a lot to take away from that game. I know a lot of people say, Oh, you lost. Who cares? But there's a lot of positives to take from that hockey game. Oh, there was. And they just need to, to kind of just burn the tape and, and carry on. You have a lot more games. And that one game, you can't just think like, oh, yeah, we're, we're fucked because that game went poorly. You're not. It's one period of one game out of 82. Yeah, I agree. Um, so where are we at? Nick's messaging me here. Do you want to you try and get him on? Well, let's, you want to take a little break here and then set it up? Yeah, we'll set it up. Uh, we'll take our quick fiver and tee up Nick Alberga, a.k.a. the Golden Muzzy. And we'll be talking to Nick here on the Pucks and Deep Podcast when we return. All right, so we are all teed up here with uh, Nick Alberga. Nick uh, can be found on Twitter at the Golden Muzzy, which we will... We'll get his explanation on that Twitter handle in a, in a second. Pretty awesome Twitter handle. So Nick is the host of the newly minted Unmuzzled podcast with Nick Alberga. He's also the host of Leafs Nation on the Fan 590, which is also available via podcast. This guy's just a podcast king right now. Uh, and he's also a fantasy hockey contributor on sportsnet.ca. So... First off, uh, Nick Alberga, welcome to the Pucks and Deep podcast, my man. Thanks for joining us. Boys, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, and I can't believe we're, what, like 20 days away from the trade deadline. It's going to be fun, or let's hope it's fun at least, right? Yeah. Are you the kind of guy, Nick, that you know likes to pour over the laptop or your mobile device and just follow any and all rumors as they're thrown at the wall, or do you kind of like to pick and choose which, uh, which leads you'll follow? No, I go insane over this stuff, and this dates back to like my days in high school. Uh, pretty much my story, I've wanted to be what I'm doing right now since I was like 10 years old. Like It was a religious holiday almost for me on trade deadline day. Growing up in high school, I would skip class, the whole shebang. And then it, it changed a bit, clearly, You know, getting into the industry, and especially the way I worked at Sirius XM NHL Network Radio was a big day. So I normally worked sort of Ice Cap, which was the recap show, 
of all the festivities. So it, it changes in that respect. I still get giddy here at the age of 30, the night before the trade deadline, although most of the action happens well before. But um, I just hope it, it's it's some sort of entertainment this year. The rental market, I'm not crazy about. So hopefully these guys get creative a bit. But it's always a lot of fun to speculate. Like, I don't know about you guys. Growing up, I used to, like, subscribe to the Eklund uh, BS out there. Eklund's, like, the biggest forward oh, yeah. of all time. hundred percent. <laughs> yeah, he blocked me on Twitter before I started, like, 10 Did years he? ago. That yeah, so he I can't he can't see my tweets or he can see my tweets I can't see his tweets. But... Blocked on Twitter E four. Yeah, no, no, it's more like an E five. But uh, <laughs> I, I I'm not losing sleep over that blocking. Uh, it's like him and Vince Carter are the two people that have blocked me for some reason. Vince Carter was like my idol growing up. That still doesn't make sense. I guess to talk shit about him, but I do that with everybody. Uh, but no, I'm fired up. I'm fired up. You know, February twenty fourth should be fun. But again, keyword is should because the last couple of years have been really really disappointing. Well, you talked about skipping high school. I did want to throw back to your LinkedIn page, which is a yeah. pretty, which is pretty awesome. Awesome, by the way, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't have been skipping any high school days that were involved uh, involving the varsity baseball team. Uh, I would assume, Nick, you were the team MVP. Oh, high school baseball. Yes, I was. Uh, you know, so my high school, like I, I that's the one thing people don't know about me. And if you guys see me on Twitter, people will try to chirp me when I when I you know pipe up about baseball, the whole Houston Astros thing that was all about it. The thing people don't know about is like my first sport is actually baseball. I played rep AAA baseball my whole life until I was about 20 and then I gave it up. Uh, but yeah, among among sort of the accolades of my career, like I wasn't a great player, but like I played AAA. I mean, it's pretty decent ball. It was a, a compared to like, you know, junior, um, um, junior A, I guess. Sure. Um, and so yeah, in, in high school, I won MVP in grade 12. Um, it, it sounds better than it is because in grade 12, there's a lot of like grade nines and I just feasted off them. That's why I hit like 750 in like eight games. <laughs> where'd you, where'd, where'd you play on the field, Nick? Where was your go-to spot? I'm also a baseball first guy myself. Yeah. Yeah. So I played first base, um, you know, the majority of my life, I'll be honest, I've struggled with weight, uh, concerns my whole life. So first base made the most sense. Although I've, I've become much more trim in, in recent memory after my playing days, I, I always like to think back if, if I was in better shape, like I'm in probably the best shape of my life right now. And I made a commitment to, to health and lifestyle and all that. But back in my day, like I would just eat everything. You don't really, you're not cognizant of that stuff. And you know, it's not like I was going to the majors or anything, but if I, you know, took a bit better care. I wondered where I could have been, uh, but I played first base the majority, and I actually blew out my arm when I was like 15. I was actually a pretty decent pitcher, but uh, I was one of those kids, and I don't know if they still do it growing up. I would just throw curveball after curveball after curveball because it was so fascinating to me, and it sort of ruins your arm if you throw it too young, and that's essentially what happened to me. But uh, I, I love the sport of baseball. Uh, I think it's garbage now. It's it's really boring. Uh, the analytical game has taken over, and uh, they sort of lost a fan in me. I don't watch as much as I used to, quite frankly. So are you in the camp of uh, stripping the Houston Astros of their World Series rings, or are you okay to allow them to continue to celebrate? Yeah, that, that's it's absolute BS, and I, I sort of love the LA Dodgers complaining it's because you sp you guys spend like $2 billion a year on payroll. Like I think it's, it's an absolute joke in, on, on both sides, but... I you know, growing up, and you guys know this, you're around my age as well, like the whole Balco era, right, under Bud Selig was like the biggest joke of all time, considering Mark McGuire was one of my favorite players, and then I found out this guy cheated my whole life. Like, it just, it brings a sour taste to your mouth, especially when you look at that Houston roster and you see guys like 
Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve and, and Carlos Correa and, and Verlander's clean for all we know, maybe he's not, but he's clean. Like they got an amazing players in terms of, of, you know, full fledged talent on that roster and to have to cheat to win is like, you know, absolutely embarrassing. And then you throw names like Carlos Beltran, Alex Cora, like the list goes on. And it's one of those stories you don't want to believe, but I mean, the truth has come out and the way they did it was just absolutely disgusting. I would strip them of everything. Um, I just think it's one of those things that it's very similar to this era, what it was for our era and the whole Balco thing. Like it, it's so unbelievable that you can't even fathom it took place. But I mean, the, the stats don't lie. The numbers don't lie. And sort of the Intel don't lie, do they? No, they don't. You said you spent time as a pitcher. Uh, let me ask you, would you rather face someone on steroids or someone that knew every pitch that you were throwing? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, because I do think there's a lot of skill. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I, I play the sport. I mean, even if you know a curveball is coming and you're sitting curveball, you you have no gauge on how much it's going to drop, the movement, where it's coming from. So I, I think there's a lot of skill. So I would say that um, because I still think there's an element of skill, even if you know you know a one's coming or a two or a three are coming, um, you still have to adapt as opposed to somebody who's on roids just blowing it by you. It's a whole different ball game or somebody just – because, in, in, you know, you even look at the steroid era, if you will, like Barry Bonds, like – the ball would hit the end of his bat and would go out of the park. Like it, it was ridiculous ocean. at the end. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I'll, I'll go with that answer. Yeah. Right. A couple of questions here just to take it yeah. back to your career in media. And I guess my first question I wanted to ask you is where the golden muzzy came from. And secondly, just what, what, uh, what was the first thing you did? Like what, when did you get started in media? Yeah. So I get this question a lot. I'll start with that. So my upbringing, I went to Fanshawe college in London uh, for, for journalism radio, which I'm biased, but I do think it's one of the best programs that this country has to offer. We ran a radio station second year. You could hear us in your cars. Like it, it was, it really, it was really. I know a lot of the the journalism programs do that, but the way Fanshawe did it, it was it was unbelievable um, in terms of their attention to detail. Um, it, it really was like the survival of the fittest. There was so many dropouts. I think by the end, there was only like twelve or thirteen of us that actually graduated the course. So it was survival of the fittest. Um, I went there. I went to the College of Sports Media as well in Toronto, renowned for some of the biggest names right now in the industry, namely Sean McKenzie, who, ironically enough, I went to Fanshawe College with as well. Uh, Faisal Kamisa, you know, Dinami Show, like the list goes on and on of names that have come out of the industry the last couple of years from the College of Sports Media. So it sort of gave me, you know, the groundwork uh, to bud. I think it is sort of an industry where it's got to be right place, right time type of situation. I got an internship at the College of Sports Media, which landed me at Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. And um, I'm just the type of person who just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and striving to be the best. So that's sort of my upbringing in terms of, uh, in terms of broadcast. But I'm not going to say it's easy. I mean, for, for those of you listening out there, it's not like you're just going to wake up one day and say, hey, I want to cover the National Hockey League or, or any sport for that matter. It, it's, it does have an element of right place, right time. And who hears you, who doesn't, and and somebody pushing for you a bit to get where you ultimately want to be. Um, as for the nickname, it, it, you know, I, I'm asked this quite a bit. It's something that stuck out of school in the College of Sports Media. The great Roger Lajoie taught me, and uh, we were in Movember, as you guys know. I like to do Movember um, and and do the old Muzzy thing and raise money um, for prostate awareness and, and cancer awareness in general. So it went hand in hand. Um, he asked us to make a Twitter account because it's at the implementation of Twitter and. Um, my, my muzzy came in a bit golden then. Um, I, I always thought it was because of smoking, by the way, because I hacked darts for like 10 years. Um, I actually Dart stain. 
Yeah, I thought it was. I thought that, I thought it was a dart stain, but it wasn't because I've quit for like two years now, and it's still there. It comes in a bit blonde. <laughs> so I was like, why not the gold muzzy? And then um, I don't even want to say unfortunately because people call me muzzy. Like it's really, really stuck. You know, a nickname's just uh, stick. Like even I was, you know, fascinated to find out that Spicy P Pascal Siakam actually is not even a big fan of his own nickname, but it's sort of stuck. And <laughs> that, that, that's what's happened here with the golden muzzy. It's something I can't get rid of. Like I know even when I started at Sportsnet. There were some whispers that people told me about. They were thinking about telling me to change my Twitter handle, but that's a. Uh, I don't want to say it's a no-no because I think sometimes you have to do what you have to do. But I really like what my handle is, and obviously I've branded off that with my podcast called Unmuzzled. So yeah, um, it sounds like a story where it's like more in depth than it truly is, but it, that's pretty much how it started in Roger Lajoie's class, and it was sort of spur of the moment. I'm like the Golden Muzzy. I never really thought too much about it. I didn't think it would get to this point where the brand is what it is, but. Yeah, that's how it came to be. No, I mean, Sportsnet, Toronto Star, uh, CNN, I don't care who it is. That's a hard no if they're telling you to change that. that uh, <laughs> I handle. retire, right? Yeah, retire. It's a good handle, though. Like you said, it's, it's basically evolved into your brand sort of thing because yeah. the majority of those guys working in there, their their handles are Sean McKenzie SN. You know what I mean? Like yeah. their handles are just pretty generic. They're bland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no shade of Mackenzie alone. <laughs> no so I wanted to ask you, Nick, uh, you and I had a, a chance to meet each other. And of course, that's you yeah. know, why you're here on, on the Pucks and D podcast today. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to come down to Sirius XM uh, NHL Network Radio and be involved in an on-air draft, which, you know, as a, as a longtime listener and dedicated listener was really exciting for me to be able to, you know, put a face to a voice for all of you guys uh, down at the station. And I, I did want to ask you, you know, your departure from Sirius XM. I don't want to bring anything bad up or anything, but was that an opportunity for you, uh, Nick, to further your career? Or maybe was there a feeling that you were a little stagnant over at, at NHL Network Radio? Because you had so much contributions over there. And I can't help but feel that, you know, they've missed you since you've been gone. Yeah, that's sort of, and I appreciate the the, the nice words there because, uh, you know, it was a difficult decision uh, for my career. And as you guys will realize, if you continue on here in broadcasting, what you, you should is sometimes you have to make decisions. You know, I was there for eight and a half years. And um, as I mentioned earlier on, I'm really hungry. I'm always hungry, not just food-wise, like career-wise, you know, <laughs> sport-wise. Like, I always want more and more and more. And you know, there's no ill will there. I just felt like it was the right time to sort of move on and branch out. And then, you know, luckily enough, you know, I had a couple job interviews in the summer, a couple in the States. Um, uh, and then I, I landed with with Sportsnet. And it's it's been a lot of fun. It's been a bit different. Uh, granted, I, I loved, you know, following the entire National Hockey League. Not that I don't now because I still cover fantasy hockey. But to talk about the teams uh, on a daily basis, I mean, just put it into perspective how difficult that job truly was. And I have so much respect for everybody on that channel, what they do, because that is a hard thing to do. Trust me, is cover all 31 teams the way they did. So now my full focus for the most part is, is on the Maple Leafs and, and doing the radio broadcasts and just continuing to be hungry and, and striving, you know, to be better and better every day and getting the hours of broadcasts under my belt and working with such a pro in Gord Stellick has been a lot of fun. Um, I think another key too is to, be as versatile as possible in the industry. That's why I've, I, I'm doing some YouTube stuff now. I, I, I co-host the Fantasy Forecheck, which is a weekly uh, fantasy hockey YouTube show um, on the uh, on the Sportsnet uh, YouTube platform. Uh, the podcasting, I mean, all in one. Uh, you, you, you pretty much, you know, future employers showing, hey, I can do everything. How could you not hire me? That's the way I look at it. So 
ultimately it was it was a very difficult decision don't get me wrong after eight and a half years you have an attachment but sometimes you have to make those decisions in life and it's not not just from an occupation um, you know you just have to make those decisions and live with it I'm comfortable with the decision and never say never that's all I'll say when it comes to uh, my time at NHL Network Radio but it was a lot of fun I owe a lot of people there a lot for what they've done for my career but you know what I mean it was just one of those opportunities that that had to you know come together and I had to do it um, for the betterment of, of my career and my life so uh, so I did it and it was a leap of faith I won't lie now, Gord Stelic is on Sirius as well in the mornings mm-hmm. uh, with Tyler Madaraz, and uh, and then he's with you in the afternoon. Is that correct? Yeah. So Gordo's like the one of the hardest working broadcasters you'll find. Like it's unbelievable. At you know his ripe age of sixty two, he broadcasts like a thirty five year old. They always tell him this, but yeah, he does. There's a morning show with with Scott Lachlan and, and Tyler's on there as well, and, and Mike Lippa. And then you know, oftentimes he does every Leaf game with me, whether it be. You know, the, the full broadcast or just the post-game show, depending on who has the game, it's either us or the three-letter, as you know. Uh, but Gord's there for, for, for the thick of things, and it's it's been a lot of fun. And that chemistry was already there. That's what was great about taking this job with Sportsnet is that I already knew Gord for a couple of years, and we had worked together before. So it really was, um, you know, a seamless transition, which I really appreciated about the opportunity. But honestly, he's one of the best people I've worked with in the industry. He's so easy to work with and just has a lot of fun with the job. And the passion is bar none. Like he loves the Maple Leafs and he loves talking about the NHL. So it's pretty easy, but he works really, really hard. <laughs> well, talk about a guy who's, who works his ass off and has also been around forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, does he, has he ever told you any Harold Baller stories by chance? Yeah, a bit. Like, you know, he, he, he'll talk about it. Um, I, I do like to, uh, I think a key when broadcasting with somebody who has experience in, in any position in the NHL is like, bring it up, you know, like support it. I think they teach you that in school, like, you know, work to their strengths. Say, hey, Gord, you, you were an executive in this league. How would you view this? I, I often ask him that with, you know, trade deadline questions. Say, hey, uh, you're the Maple Leafs right now. Frederick Anderson goes down, you know, the extent. What's your first call? What's your first action? And I, I think... You know, anytime I work with a player or two, that's the first thing I say, hey, there's nothing to stress about. Like, you played the game. You lived it. Uh, it's pretty simple in that respect. So just tell us how you feel and how you handle the situation. Pretty much the same when it comes to Gord Selleck. Um, and, you know, that there have been some ballad stories, none that come to mind, but, like, he'll sprinkle some in. That's the thing about Gord is that um, I was telling this to Madaraz the other day. Every time Gord speaks, there's, there's some validation to what he's saying, so you better pay attention. Uh, he uses his words wisely. That's what I love about him. You know, you talked about Gord uh, just enjoying covering the Leafs. Obviously, you're enjoying it as well, uh, Nick. And I can't express how fucking jealous I am that <laughs> you're able to hang up there in the, <laughs> in the Hewitt gondola. And I mean, that was a dream for, for myself as well. Uh, growing up, just loving Bob Cole, uh, you know, l- loving the yeah. the legendary calls and his ability to just bring excitement into your living room was, you know, second to none, in my opinion. Um, you know, so you're up there in the gondola. I mean, what does that mean for you? Uh, I did want to ask you if you were willing to, you know, go on record for your allegiances, because I'm not sure if you, you know, are a Leaf fan by heart. I had heard rumblings that you were a Montreal Canadiens fan. I know you're definitely not an Islanders fan. So I was <laughs> yeah. wondering if maybe you might want to, you know, go on record with your allegiances here. All right, so this is the great thing, and and I honestly, if there's one thing I take pride on in covering the NHL the way I have for the last nine years, nobody seems to fucking know who I like, um, and I love that. Like that is so, good. 
I'll be honest. So the rumblings about me, Mike, me liking Montreal is because I was born in Montreal. And, and some people know that, some don't. People try to chirp me on Twitter because I talk about the Habs. I could talk about any team, quite frankly, as you see on Twitter. Like, I don't give a shit what people say. Like, that's just, right. you, you have to have thick skin as a broadcaster. I don't care if I get chirped. You know, I chirp, so I expect chirps back. It is what it is. Uh, but I was born in Montreal. My father was a big-time Canadians fan. Most of my family are Canadians fans. But to be honest, it's the one team I probably hate the most in the league. Um, but I, I do respect them. Like, I like a lot of their players now. Like, my hatred for the Habs is not the same as it was when I was 14 years old. You know what I mean? The days of Patrice Brisois. Um, Saka Koivu, I had no problems with him because, I mean, we all know what he went through and he played the game hard. Right. Uh, you know, guys like Alex Kovalev. Like, I got respect for players on that roster. But if there's a team that I don't like the most, it's probably Montreal. But, again, it's changed broadcasting-wise. So, I am a Leafs fan. You know, I'll say this too. Like, I think once you do it as a profession and you cover a league as a profession, your your heart sort of changes. I know other people in this year are a bit more dedicated than I am. I love the Leafs, but, you know, the, the more you get older in life and the days go by, like, you realize that this is sort of a vice. You know, anything that happens in life, covering pro sports and doing what I do for a living and loving it um, is an opportunity. It's a good opportunity and it's fun. Like, it should be fun, right? And I just sort of broadcast and... I'm a fan of this team knowing they'll always be next year. I know it's kind of crappy to think that way, but uh, I'm not the people like living and dying by the sword of each loss or Frederick Anderson getting hurt. Like I'm a big Leafs fan. Don't get me wrong, but like I, I to, to, a, to a limit, you know, cause I think a lot of people are like diehards, but it changes a lot. I'll tell you that once you start covering a league and the fatigue sets in and you sort of look forward to the summer and just taking a break, uh, your perspective changes. I, I want to see this team do well. Quite frankly, it's really good for the brand of Sportsnet if uh, the Maple Leafs go far and they've got a lot of great players, like they're a lot of fun to watch. That'd be the worst job in the world to me. If, if the team stunk and they were boring and had no, no guys who can really take you out of your seat, it would be very, very boring. So it is a blessing in disguise and it is sort of a dream country. I'll be honest. Um, in the fact that I was a Leafs fan growing up and now I'm sort of living it out and, and covering this team on a daily basis. It's been great. Well, it's a great time to be covering the Maple Leafs. And like you said, it's good for Sportsnet's brand. I mean, it's really good for anyone who's associated with them, whoever's covering them. Uh, I can recall, you know, listening to uh, the three-letter broadcast radio show back when the Leafs stunk. And, you know, they got to a point where it was the, game, the day after a game, they're like, what do we talk about? Well, I don't want yeah. to talk about this anymore. Like, this is just, it's horrifying, right? And 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 like you said, to, to be in a situation where there is some potential with this team, there's a certain level of excitement, but you're just not as emotional as the rest of us. The rest of us who are, are freaking out every other day or every time they have a bad game. On the ledge. Yeah, like, you know, and, and that's what I love, the passion of sports fans in general. As you know, like, I love to go at it with Islanders fans. I could not give a shit, uh, you know, if the Islanders did well or not. I just play to their heartstrings. I know they love John Tavares, so that's the guy I'll tweet all the time. Like, it's, just, it's too much fun. I've become, like, you know, just a troll on Twitter, which I wasn't aiming for at the beginning, but it really is a lot of fun. And, again, I do take pride in just having fun with the job. I do comprehend and understand there's a lot of people who'd love to be in my position and being able to do, uh, you know, a job like this. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, the pay isn't great. Um, at some point in time, it, you know, it, it will be better. Um, let's hope, fingers crossed. But <laughs> it's just more, more so the joy, the happiness of being able to cover a sport like this. This is, I wake up every day and say, like, this is, this is unbelievable. Like this, you're living out a dream kind of thing. So it's been a lot of fun in that respect. And, I think, you know, I, I often think about this if the Maple Leafs are crap. Like, I do think there is an element of of sort of intrigue covering a team that's not doing well because there's a lot more to talk about. Like, the Maple Leafs are a team, and 
not that I'm ever at a shortage for words, as you've noticing right now, but I think when the Maple Leafs are doing well, it's harder to dissect, you know, little things like their power, their second power play unit, or their backup goalie that you wouldn't really amplify conversation about if the team was doing bad, you know what I mean? So, like, it, it's a different narrative, and I think to that point, too, I rather than doing well, because just sort of the mood in the arena and the press box is, is tenfold from what it is when the team is struggling and losing hockey games. Just everybody's a bit more enthusiastic, a bit of excitement. Let's not forget this team currently, as we speak, not in a playoff spot. So there's a lot of heavy lifting still to do, but that's why we love this league and the League of Parity, of course. You talked about being a troll, which was literally my next bullet point here for you. Um, you know, maybe just I wanted you to tell us a little bit about your infamous feud with New York Islanders fans. <laughs> I know that it generated around the John Tavares thing. Uh, yeah. But, you know, when did you first start to sense that this was going to be a, a shtick, you know, with the Islanders fans? You were getting a lot of heat. Uh, when did you decide to go full troll on the New York Islanders fans? So it all started with a tweet, the deadline, I think two weeks before the deadline, um, that John Tavares, the Islanders, elected to keep him. Um, I had heard whispers that the Maple Leafs would be involved and J- John Tavares wanted to come home. I heard that a month before the deadline. And, you know, the intel continued the same. I actually, you know, put it out five days before that John Tavares was likely to sign with the Maple Leafs. Nobody wanted to believe me. They all thought I was trolling. I get it. Uh, but I actually know people close to the situation who were feeding me this information. Nobody knew that. Uh, but basically, I tweeted out the schedule had come out or something, and I said, um, you know, January 7th or whatever the date was last year, John Tavares, as a member of the Maple Leafs, returns to the Coliseum to take on the New York Islanders. And um, I, I hashtag the Isles because that's important. People always look up the hashtags. And next thing you know, my Twitter sort of blew up, and it went from there. You know, we got closer to, to, to July 1st, and the likelihood uh, increased by the day that John Tavares was, in fact, coming home. And... Um, I'll just say this. I didn't buy that his decision came down to the final moments. I think he truly knew what he wanted to do from six months before, but that's just my opinion. So he ends up signing with the Maple Leafs. Um, somehow I was hosting the power play the first couple of days on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, which is the drive show, as you guys know. And um, I somehow we, we somehow got John Tavares. Um, uh, you know, we were put in touch with the Maple Leafs management, and I landed John Tavares to get on the show. And then... I tweeted out, hey, Isles fans, you know who, hashtag Voldemort is coming on. And <laughs> from there, like, I really tugged in the heartstrings in the interview. I almost made him cry, actually, because I, you know, I, I said something to the effect of, like, Islanders fans are listening right now. Um, what do you want to say to them? And he got really, really teary-eyed. Like, I, I know it hit the heartstrings, as you guys wow. know from my broadcast. So, Hard-hitting journalism um, right there. Yeah, no, that's journalism 101. That's what they teach in school. You know, ask the questions that get the answers you're looking for. And uh, I got them uh, from JT. And from there, it's just been sort of a shtick, as you uh, you mentioned. Like, uh, I have a lot of friends who cover the Islanders, namely Mike, Mike Carver, who every time I talk to him, uh, you know, he knows – I'm just feeding into the animosity on Twitter and that I mean nothing by it. I actually respect the Islanders quite a bit, quite frankly. Um, I love for, you know, what they have on that roster, how good a team they are. Barry Trotz done a tremendous job. Uh, to make Thomas Grice an NHL goalie, I think, has been really, really impressive. They insulate their team. Matthew Barzell, I love the shade Tavares threw at him when he left, but Barzell's an incredible player. He's going to get a nice big fat contract here in the offseason from Lou. And um, it, it's just one of those things that, 
you know, at the beginning, I didn't anticipate it getting to this level. And now I just do it for fun. And most of the Islanders fans, you know, buy into it. And I always laugh because a lot of them will tweet me, but they don't follow me. It's like you're actually actively looking me up. So I'm doing my thing and you're, you're, you're buying into it. So I'm doing something effective here. Yeah, they're definitely coming at you, and I've seen some of the <laughs> some of the messages messages fly around, especially in and around the time that the Leafs and Islanders are playing. Yeah, but yeah. That, that's quite the story in that you'd basically you know made the call that he was coming here, and then said, "Hey, Isles fans, you, you like that tweet? Well, I'm about to serve you up a shit sandwich here on the radio." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. And then I'll be honest, like I had the platform of NHL Network Radio just pissed them off even more. And then like that, you know, going back to it, like not a lot of people, and that's what I honestly took pride in when I was on NHL Network Radio specifically, nobody knew who I liked. And I like that fact because we always get billed with, hey, you guys are Toronto media, which I understand. A lot of, like, Gord Selleck was working there or is working there. Like, everybody who's from Toronto, um, you know, covering the NHL there, I understand why people felt that way. Uh, but that's sort of what I built into is people thought I was a Yotes fan or an Islanders fan or a Leafs fan or a Habs fan. I like that. It adds an element of surprise, right? So... Um, ultimately, I am a Leafs fan, but it's it's been a lot of fun to see like Tavares as a Maple Leaf. I'd love to see that in the playoffs someday. Yeah, well, we're hoping that it's going to be this year. Where are you uh, leaning on the old playoff o meter right now? In terms of in terms of who's going to win it? In terms of if we're going to make or not? Oh, okay. No, so I, I've you know, Gordon and I go back and forth. We have been for a long, long time, and I, I really like the move to to fire Mike Babcock. With all with all due respect to Babcock, you know, uh, Hall of Fame coach. Don't get me wrong. I mean, make of it what you will. The whole stories that have come out this season, but um, it, it was a move that was needed to be made. I thought it should have made made in the off season. I do think, like honestly, skill comes to the forefront. The Maple Leafs will find a way. Uh, we'll see what happens when it comes to Frederick Anderson here and the injury concern. Michael Hutchinson, and, and I've said it time and time again in the broadcast, he's not an NHL goalie. But it, it's sort of one of those situations they've they've strapped themselves. And uh, people often talk about the Tavares contract. If John Tavares is there on July 1, how do you not you know, say, hey, we want you? And that's essentially what happened. They didn't expect this to come on their doorstep, and it did. So it threw a bit of a wrench, a wrench excuse me, into the cap situation. It is what it is, but it is sort of a byproduct of paying these four guys all this money is that you're going to have to back up goalie that's probably not up to snuff, and that's what we're seeing right now. It'll be interesting to see how Brandon Pridham, uh, the capologist, if you will, and, and Kyle Dubas and the executives there finagle their way around the trade deadline because there are some glaring holes on this team that need at least one defenseman, um, and they need um, a competent backup goalie. Uh, and we'll see what has, happens. You know, they, they call up Casimir Kaskasuo. I don't know how much trust they have in him right now. But uh, I'm going to say the Maple Leafs still make the playoffs. Uh, I just think there's way too much talent on this roster and some better, veteran leadership guys like Jake Muzzin who have been there before that will will this team into the playoffs. And, you know, quite honestly, I was looking into Bodog a couple weeks ago and maybe putting some money on the Maple Leafs to go far in the playoffs, just more so because... I think if they can get past the demons of the first round, I don't care who they're playing in the first round, Boston or somebody else, they have the potential of going really, really far, especially the way the Marner, Hyman, and, and Matthews line are playing. And then you add the fact of what uh, Tavares and, and Nylander are starting to put together. That's going to be a scary, scary team if they can make the playoffs here. Well, there's definitely tons of potential, and, and I, I've kind of – I'm I'm of the attitude now where it's like just make it. If they can make it, any, like mm-hmm. you said, anything can happen. You get out of that front first round. I think we've seen that over the years with a number oh, of different St. Louis last year, exactly. Right? Just like St. Yeah. Louis, uh, you, you did mention addressing a couple of needs uh, with the the you know replacing somebody on the right hand D. 
possibly bringing in a backup goaltender. Is that something you realistically see that happening kind of because they have that mentality perhaps of just, we got to get in there and if this is what it's going to take, they're going to address it? Well, I think it, it it all has to do with the extent of this injury. They're calling it a neck injury. Like it's so bizarre here, hearing Sheldon Keefe from the post game on, uh, on Monday night to today at practice when Anderson was nowhere to be found, a neck injury. It leads me to believe, I mean, it's, you hate to hear use the word concussion, but it, you wonder if it's something to do with a concussion. And again, I'm just speculating at this point in time. But I think what they do in terms of goaltending will have a lot to do with Frederick Anderson and how much time, if any, he has to miss. And you would think you'd at least miss that game against the New York Rangers. I think at this point, they pretty much know like they need a goalie. Um, and they've known this for a while. It just speaks again to, to the cap constraints uh, and the realism that, you're paying guys a lot of money and you have absolutely no money to tinker with. So it's got to be money in, money out. Uh, that's why you're hearing Kasperi scratching in Kapanen's name a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kasperi Krapanen too. You let's got a lot go, of Krapanen. Let's go yeah. throw out a good one earlier, Kasperi Napanen. <laughs> yeah, that's good too. I think there's more to that story we're not hearing too. But yeah, know, oh, we'll absolutely. Find out. It's like the Kadri one in the back of the day, right? We didn't find out the true story until he left town. Uh, but I think that's why you're hearing names like Janssen and, and – and Kapanen out there because it's got to be sort of a money in money out type transaction. And I think if Toronto wants to sweeten the pot with some um, draft picks then they'll make teams eat more money, um, a la what Colorado did with the Tyson Berry contract. I think Toronto's only actually paying them like a mill and a half. Colorado's paying the majority of that contract. So they've got to get creative. Like uh, we'll, we'll see what they do over the next couple of weeks, but it's not like this has crept up on them, right? They, they've known sort of their, their situation. That's why I wouldn't be shocked too if, um, you know, we'll see what happens here with Morgan Riley, but if they can stretch it out as much as possible and uh, if there's a way to maybe get him get to the playoffs without Morgan Riley and then activate that contract, same with Ilya Mikheyev, I think they're, they're probably investigating every possibility right now because, again, they've even called up, what, a 20-19-year-old uh, in Rasmus Sandin. Like, we're at a moment, and, and it's not crisis time just yet for the Maple Leafs, but they got to get... Uh, going here in terms of playoff positioning as we speak, or they're on the outside looking in. But I, I honestly feel, and I felt this way since Babcock was fired, even before, like they're going to be okay, but uh, they got to win some big games. That, that was a big time loss to blow it the way they did against the Panthers when it was one of their better efforts of the season, I felt. It was it was like just gut-wrenching watching that third <laughs> period. Yeah, yeah, Hutchinson had a display for the century, a 769 save percentage. Well, giggity. The, you know the thing with the thing the thing about that game people are not talking about. Mark fucking Pesic got a hat trick. Like this is not like it's not like Vinny Trocheck or Jonathan Huberdeau. It's a guy who is a, a defender playing forward on the second line for the Panthers got a hat trick. Like it's that that's the mystifying part for me. And a couple of those goals are like wow. Like my beer league goalie could have made those stops, right? And you know it sucks being a backup goalie, especially in Toronto, but. The realism is that Michael Hudson is not an NHL goalie, and, and poor guy, because all I've heard is he's a fantastic guy in the locker room. They love him, but he's just not not good enough to be in this league right now, especially for a team we think is a legitimate threat to do something this year. Uh, it, it just can't happen. You know, It's like the ghost of Curtis McElhaney right now. you got to be ready, and I think that's what's frustrating for a lot of the fans is this is t- twice now he's been called in relief against the Florida Panthers, and twice he's put up like a 750, 760, or whatever it is, save percentage. I mean, it's it's just not good enough. Well, it's just one of those things too. Like you know, I work with Gord, as you know, and it's always one of those things. Like 
we always have to talk about those games against Ottawa or, or teams that are lower in the standings and say, you know, Hutch was good in this game. It's like, well, yeah, he's a goalie in the NHL. He should be good more times than not. If he's not, why is he in this league? So the fact that I had to insulate and be like, you know, he's been good. Like, he, I, I don't talk Frederick Anderson every game because I know he's going to be consistent for the most part and be a good goalie. But every time, you know, watching that game from when Hutchinson came in, granted he faced three shots in the second period, went three for three. That's big by his math. And then just in the third period, it's a 3-1 hockey game. Matthews, I think, scored 39 seconds in, feeling good about life, eating the, the press box popcorn, which is tremendous. You know, I, I turned to Jeff Blair last night and I said, how did David Price leave Toronto with this popcorn tasting so good? <laughs> and then it was, what, two goals in 58 seconds. The, the tune changed. You can feel the air out of the building because they knew Mr. Hutchinson, Michael Hutchinson, was in there, and this game was, was finished. As soon as it was 3-3, I knew it was over because, again, A, their backup goalie was in there. He's had his issues. And this is not Ottawa. It's the Florida Panthers, who I think are a playoff team this year. So uh, just flip it over to fantasy before we let you go, Mm -hmm. Uh, Nick. I really wanted to pick your brain on not necessarily, you know, talking about what players guys should be looking at. I just wanted to talk to you about fantasy and how fun it is and, you know, how you're thinking the the fantasy world is evolving in this day and age. Do you think a guy like uh, Pissick is going to be – picked up uh, in the fantasy universe after his hat trick because he's would you think he'd be dual eligibility for winger and defenseman he's like the tyler Matarez utility guy of fantasy yeah hockey. that's exactly what i thought of because Matarez loves tweeting and talking about guys on his show that play defense <laughs> and forward like that's his shtick my shticks islanders fans and trolling them <laughs> just talks about the because i do think it's weird like it's we're in an age of the cap world and versatility where you need to, you know, implement guys like this. And oftentimes as Florida went yesterday with seven defensemen, it is what it is, but I don't think people are chomping at the bit to go after Mark Pesek. Like he had the game of his life, the Edmonton native in Toronto. And it's funny enough, I was, I was actually talking to one of his best friends, Luke Adam, who plays over in, in Germany the other day. And he was telling me how Pesek's one of his best boys next day. Um, you know, Luke's buddy gets the hattie and, and he rips the leaf apart. But, uh, you know, even the effort to score that empty netter, you could tell uh, there was some significance behind that hat trick for him. So it was a great story and nobody was talking about it. I thought that was hilarious, too. Everybody was talking about Hutchinson. I get it. But Mark Pesic uh, had an unbelievable game. But from a fantasy perspective, I don't see people jumping um, at Mark Pesic right now. I think he had five career goals going into yeah. that game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think he's got seven on the year, quite frankly. Oh, really? All this oh, year. Five, so yeah. five. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. The, but still, you're right. The the funny thing about it is that you will always have those reactionary pigeons, uh, you know, GMs in the fantasy oh, world. Oh, my God, a hat trick. And then they pick him up, and then he doesn't get another one for a few weeks. Or ever. Yeah. Or ever, ever, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, Nick, you do a lot of fantasy work with Sportsnet. I always like to catch up and read it. It is always a great read, by the way. And, you know, I, I always hate just sitting here pumping your tires, but that's what I'm going to no, do. it feels good, man. <laughs> it's good a, thing this is not on video, just uh, just on the airwaves here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's good. It's a nice read. It's, it's, almost, um, it's almost like 31 Thoughts-esque in the sense where you the just... The younger brother. Yeah, you just do like little nice bullet points and sometimes the next bullet point is actually related to the previous bullet point just to yeah. hammer your point home. Um, So it's always a good read. I wanted to ask you, do you ever feel, I don't know how to word this. Do you ever feel slighted that you are the one that has to put your homework and your fantasy based knowledge on the internet for just some lazy ass Joe schmuck 
to go in there and win his fantasy pool based on your hard work? Uh, that, that's a that's a really really good question. I've never been asked that before. So my my whole fantasy upbringing, like I've lived and died fantasy hockey since again I was like 12 years old. I remember when I first realized fantasy hockey was a thing. I'm like this is amazing and honestly another dream come true to be able to cover fantasy hockey. Like I I literally have been in four leagues for the last like 15 years. Like I'm so diehard about this stuff. Like it's not even work to me honestly. Like curating my thoughts into 20 thoughts every Sundays. Uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun and sort of it, you look at the sport a bit differently. Every time there's an injury, I'm automatically thinking, like, who's the next man up? Who are some options externally to pick up uh, to fill the void if you have that guy on your roster? But I think from that perspective, like, I, I, I often think about that. And obviously, you're going to get your fair share of, of ridicule on social media in general, like not just fantasy hockey doing what I do. I think that's who you sign up for is all the pigeons, as you put it. And I put it as well on, on social media. It is what it is, but no, like that's, it's my job to inform, right? I mean, similar to what Elliot does in the 31 Thoughts, which are just simply tremendous. Uh, I wanted to, we as a brand at Sportsnet wanted to model sort of the 20 fantasy thoughts off that in helping people out. So no, I don't, I don't think it's, it's people being lazy. I just, it's more so me doing my job and, and seeing things that some people might not see, right? Because I live and die with this and I, I play fantasy hockey religiously. It's it's become an occupation almost of sorts for me. So I'm just helping people out. That's the way I look at it. So being in four leagues, do you ever actually see some league movement and wonder if the GM who just made that transaction did it based off of some of your advice online or otherwise? Okay, so that that's another good question because now as I've you know started to do more and more with Sportsnet the last couple of years, my my role with fantasy is bigger this year than it was last year and the and, and the previous year to that. Um, you know, I do have friends who read my stuff and I'll offer you know deals for guys I've pinpointed to say go and target, and they'll be like, no, I read like I want more. So I think in general, <laughs> it's funny like in general in fantasy hockey, and you can ask Mataraz and Jake Hahn this. Like I was a commissioner of of the pool at Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, and I won't lie, I fucking dominated that pool. I dominated Boomer Gordon. <laughs> I, dom- I dominated Rob Higgins, and they'll admit that. Like, I, I, That's I, impressive. I do, yeah, I do my homework, and um, it, it's just one of those things, like, it's hard to make trades when you're in the public eye and you're doing this for a living. It, it is what it is. So oftentimes, if I do need to make a deal, I, I likely have to overpay uh, but if I feel strongly about a guy, I don't feel that bad doing so. But that's a, that's a really good question because people, a lot of people, like people that are not like, you know, in the hockey world that I'm in fantasy pools with just friends or I don't want to say they're scared to make a deal, but they, they think twice when I offer them something or they think twice when they offer me something because they know what I do for a living. It's just a, a byproduct of nature of the job for sure. Yeah. You don't want to get taken for a ride by the fantasy yeah. guru. Yeah, no, I, I'd say, like, you know, that the one guy I've never, I think I've made one trade with Tyler Matarez. Like, he is one of the hardest guys. You gotta, you know, and I often bring this up, too, like, in my preseason musings uh, for Sportsnet, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, going after your fantasy draft and targeting it and, and what to do and strategizing. Like, I think you have to play to the emotions and heartstrings of your opponents. And if somebody's a big-time Leafs fan, like, and, and you want to pawn off a Leafs player that you don't believe in, like, you got to play to that. You know what I mean? Like, I... I think it's all about strategy, and that's some of the things I do look at as a, as a fantasy owner that maybe it's outside the box and that I do try to portray in my fantasy stuff on a weekly basis. Is It's just ways to extract the, the best value, the most value possible is sort of my outlook when it comes to fantasy hockey. It's all about extracting value, and that's why even right now, for example, like 
a guy like Elvis Merzlikens, uh, I picked him up right at the beginning, and he's been on a, a really stealthy and, and health run here. But I do think once Corpusala, Jonas Corpusala is back, he's grabbing that crease right back. Like I know John Tortorella, uh, you know, he's a rather faithful guy, and the Corpedo has done wonders uh, in Columbus. So it's a really good time to sell high on Elvis Merzlikens. It's just little things like that, you know? Yeah, and I'm like, I, I like that you point out the heartstrings too because you, you – yeah. uh, you talked about Madaraz being difficult to deal with. He was trying to acquire Mark Giordano from me early in this season in the pool that we're all in together. Yeah, You're in there yeah. and Nick, or uh, sorry, Jake as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I have remorse from not accepting the trade because yeah. obviously he's gone really downhill since then. I wish I would have accepted that trade, but it was basically because Tyler wanted him on his team because he went to high school with the guy. Yeah, exactly. He always talks about Mark Giordano, the pride of North York, Ontario. I get it. Um, and, you know, it's sort of, you know, there, there is an element of guessing, too, when it comes to fantasy. That's why I'm always, like, annoyed when I make offers to people in the first couple of weeks. Like, I'm still guessing, you know. It could be a guy that I'm looking to buy low on and say, like, Willie Nylander was a prime example this year. I was higher than anybody on Willie Nylander this season. I thought he'd be, like, a top 50, top 60 fantasy player. He's turned out to be that way. Could be on pace for 40 goals this year. And sometimes you just have your favorites and guys you, you, you feel highly in and you go after them, but people still say no again because of the worry that they're going to be wrong. But every time I make a fantasy trade, I know I know at the back of my head there, there's the possibility that I might be incorrect in the way I feel about a player and I could be wrong, right? So I think anytime you approach a fantasy deal, you have to know and look at the positives and the negatives of, of making that transaction. What's your favorite style of fantasy to play? Do you like that Yahoo week to or head to head weekly matchups, or are you a you know throw all the guys in a pool and just the most points wins, or daily fantasy? Like, uh, what's your favorite way to play? Yeah, growing up, you know, and I still play this way. I like head to head weekly. Um, I, I've tried roto. Uh, I've played a lot of roto baseball actually, which I think is 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 really really difficult in general to play fantasy baseball, like just all the prospects coming up, but. From a fantasy hockey perspective, I, I keep it pretty simple. Normally, a, you know, a, a standard 12-team league. I At Sirius, we did go bigger. I think a couple years we had 16-team leagues. I just wanted to sort of uh, show how much depth we, we knew, and especially in, in a league where everybody covers hockey, I think it was pretty simple in that regard to, to really showcase how much knowledge you have of the game and the depth. Uh, but more times I'm in leagues that have 12-team caps, which I really, really like, and they're weekly head-to-heads. Uh, I, I, I think... You know, I always like to say I make the Mataraz rule, you know, in terms of roster streaming per week. I always like to limit it to about four moves a week. And I'm not throwing shade at Mataraz. Like, I think manip- manipulating the schedule is part of fantasy hockey, as Boomer likes to bring up all the time. Uh, but Mataraz just got ridiculous one year. And in the playoffs, he dropped his whole fucking team, picked up a new team for the last <laughs> Like, hey, we had to make a rule. And I was the commissioner. I'm like, this isn't happening again. So well, we, we made the rule. Perfect segue, because I wanted to ask you, I had to ask you this one thing about weekly and it's mostly for the pool that, that I currently run here in, in, in Pembroke in the area. I'm the commissioner and the pool is only going into its fourth year next season. And I like, we have a cap for the amount of moves that you can make per, yeah. per year though, like mm-hmm. for the whole season. Right. And we started it, it was at 30 and then I moved it to 40 
and now next year I'm telling the guys I'm ruling with an iron fist and I'm getting rid of it and I'm only taking <laughs> weekly caps because I want to be able to manipulate my roster week by week to get a leg up on my competitor and it just makes it more active I think for everyone involved so for the sake of my pool for the guys that listen that are in my pool <laughs> what do you feel in terms of those weekly your Mataraz rule? Yeah, it's a, it's a different approach. I, I think you do have to have a cap, uh, especially when you get to the playoffs, right? Because if you have unlimited moves, like you'll have a guy like Mataraz who will drop his entire team and pick up a new team the last couple of days and try to force feed some points out of you. And that's not the way I look at fantasy hockey. Um, I look at it more as guys you've drafted and have, have lived by the entire season. And those are the guys true that should win you the championship. Now, Granted, like I do firmly believe in schedule manipulation and picking up a couple guys per week that have heavier schedules than others. But um, I know Boomer's a bit more heavier on the fact of like he'll drop guys like Blake Wheeler. Like I think it's ridiculous doing that. Maybe that's why Boomer never won our pool. Some shade <laughs> definitely there. Uh, but I, like I, to an extent, I think schedule manipulation is a thing. But I'm not dropping the you know you know two games of Blake Wheeler for for four games of Emil Bemstrom. You know, like it, it's got to make sense, right? Right. So, yeah. And I, I always just got upset with, you know, getting to the middle of February. You're all, what is there maybe four weeks left, three weeks? Yeah, three, there's five, I think. Yeah. yeah so five, playoffs, five yeah. matchups left till playoffs. And I'm already down to only five moves left. And now I had well, Fred, I, Freddie Anderson go down and I'm worried about making a fucking move because of my yearly pickups. Well, that's what that's what makes those type of leagues really fascinating, right? From a strategy standpoint, is that you've got to be very, very smart with your pickup. I, you know, as you guys do, I, I know I do a, a fantasy mailbag uh, every Friday. It's released, but I prompt questions on Tuesday, and I'm often asked questions like that, where, hey, I have a cap for the entire year of how many pickups I can make. Like, how highly do you feel about this guy that I should use one of my moves? And I do like sort of the strategy outlook of that because you can't just go out and pick up every player, right? It, it makes you think about it twice before you actually do so. But it, it also puts you in tough predicaments like this where you don't know what to do when it comes to Freddie Anderson. What position are you currently in in that pool that uh, we're in with Jake and Tyler and the boys? So I'm looking right now. Uh, I'm actually doing well in all my pools this year. I'm in third place. Oh, goodness. Uh, and so I am seven points behind second. And uh, first place has been firmly in front for a while. He's 17 points up on me. But I think I still have one more legitimate run in me. Um, I'm going to try to gun for first. Um, and my other leagues, I'm, I'm top four actually in all my leagues in my in my four leagues. So I'm, I'm first in a couple of them. So it's been a pretty decent year. But again, like I, I always like to throw in there, like I take a lot of heat from my boys. I'm in a league with my buddies. And last year, I actually rebuilt it um, in, in the first month. It didn't go according to plan. I traded all my picks the year before. I won the league the year before. And I'm still getting flack for... Uh, finishing dead last but i've got i had a million picks going into this year and i'm dominating i'm in first place but that's you take a lot of heat from the boys when you have to rebuild and you're a fantasy you know contributor whatever my title fantasy uh guru is i like to joke yeah uh, but you take you take heat if you don't do well i'll say that has there ever been any chatter in that uh in that jaycon pool for making that thing uh maybe into a keeper or something because i always find that there's a little bit of a not a lack of interest but a lack of oomph whenever there's like really nothing to look forward to in terms of maybe trading a pick or something like that going into yeah. next year 
You're right. Like, I, I'll be honest, that league is is four or four in, in my leagues. Like, I, it's kind of boring. I'll be honest. Um, I am not. A, I always try to fight with them. Like, I hate shorthanded points. That's the dumbest stat ever. It's fantasy hockey. Why am I banking on fucking you know Jake Muzzin to pick up a shorthanded point? They, what an know, example. Yeah. The, no. Exactly. Like, the, the irony of that last year against Jake Hahn in the semis, I burned him on a shorthanded point. I think it was. And I ended up going and winning. I think I came second in that pool in the championship, something like that. I might have won. I don't even remember. Uh, but I burned him. I, bur- I might have been in the Sirius XM one, actually. I burned him uh, on, on a shitty stat that we had in that league. Uh, but it just I, – I like going with conventional stats. I, I know uh, now hits is a part of fantasy hockey. I'm still going with penalty minutes. Uh, what do you guys have for your stats? Uh, we I did recently just this year. I put in shorthanded points, but I did it to offset shutouts because they're both yeah. they're both very rare. And yeah. it was an opportunity to increase some separations in terms of the points because right. we're only a ten team league. So yeah. every every team is good, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So we put those two in to offset each other, uh, but we also have pims as well. And I get a lot of flack on pims, but yeah. my biggest thing is I hate, and I can't even spell it out loud enough for you. I hate gray categories. What is a block and what <laughs> is a hit? I don't like I those things. At least if I get a two minute penalty for slashing, it's a yeah. goddamn penalty. There's no argument. Yeah. You're right, and you know, on, on that note too, like uh, the hill that Mataraz and Jake will fight on, especially Mataraz, like he hates fucking plus minus. I'm like, I'm like, I'm gonna get a guy who's minus thirty and not worry about that. Like, I just think it's a, and to each their own. I'm not ripping on their stat categories because everybody's got different stats, but that's not usually what I like to go with. Like, I don't think shorthanded points, and I, I think you're right in breaking it down that way. Yeah, and plus minus is tough, man, because when you get a. When you get an empty netter scored on you, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, like all of your everyone on the ice <laughs> is fantasy relevant, basically. Yeah, you know, I, I, welcome to life, though. You know, we used to have that in our in our pool, and the goal would be scored, and I'd be looking around, and I'd be like, "Is he out there? Is he out there?" Like, <laughs> You're right. No, I do that too. Like I watch like after this, I'll, I'll tune, I'll, I'll turn on my game center, and I think there's 13 games tonight, and pop around. But yeah, like a. You often watch games you probably wouldn't uh, if you didn't own some guys in fantasy hockey. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, but uh, I like to see sort of in here what people have for their categories in different leagues and rules and, and cap. Like, I think it's it's really intriguing, and I'm excited to see where the fantasy game is in, like, 10 years. Like, you know, gambling is just beginning in the NHL world. As you guys know, I'm, like, pretty big in DFS, and DraftKings got a nice little sponsorship with them uh, when it comes to my podcast. So, uh, I think the sky's the limit when it comes to daily fantasy and fantasy hockey in general. Nice, man. Well, congratulations on that front. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Keep it up for sure. And listen, Thank you. thanks so much for uh, joining us on the Puck Pod here uh, tonight, uh, Nick. We ha- held you up for a little bit longer than we no thought, worries. but that was a great chat, man. We really appreciate appreciate having you. Uh, My pleasure. I can pl- put I can put you on the spot because you're the guru. Give me one. <sighs> give me give our listeners one bone. Like who's a guy that's not owned anywhere that they should go pick up for the final few weeks of fantasy i was thinking about this today uh, you know from a short-term perspective maybe it's a showcase i'm looking at Kiefer bellows of the new york islanders was recalled um and made his debut was making his debut tonight the islanders looking for goal scoring there's a potential they could look elsewhere for goal scoring and use bellows in a trade but this kid's something special so i think if you're you're looking at some depth ads right now i think bellows is a guy um, I would target at least in the short term and see what he's got uh, because I think there is some potential there. The Islanders could easily put them on, put them on their top line. They're always looking for goal scoring. All right, well there you have it, folks. Keeper Bellows, rush out, use your 
use your moves or your golden moves to get in there. And another yeah. uh, golden tip from the golden Muzzy <laughs> himself. So thanks again, Nick. And, uh, you know, we'll cross paths again in the future and maybe have you on again here on the Puck Pod. Sounds good, guys. Thanks so much for having me. And I, I yearn for the day where you have Boomer Gordon on this podcast and he explains his life in fantasy hockey. That'd be a lot of uh, fun and a great listen. Well, you and uh, Tyler and Jake all have some pull on that one. Jake already said that to me before, too. He said, well, you've had me on, you've had Tyler on, now you got to get Booms on. So I haven't even extended the invitation yet, but it, it'll be one for sure. Because if, if there's a guy on the radio uh, that I really like to listen to on a Monday to Friday basis. It is definitely Jim dot Boomer Gordon. You should get Boomer to talk about the fantasy leagues here. He's in. All right, we'll do more than you he are. Won't, he, he won't find them. <laughs> <laughs> nice, and I'll have to mention for sure all the shade that you threw at your boys here on your yeah, calling tonight. They know. Uh, they know. Like Jake and Ty. Like that. That was the toughest part about leaving Sirius was leaving Jake. Jake Kahn and Tyler Mataraz because the chemistry we had built uh, together and all the shows we had done. Uh, but I don't doubt it. I mean, it's a small industry, a small world. Like, who knows down the road we work together again. But, yeah, I definitely miss those two a lot. And uh, I still talk to them quite a bit. So uh, no shade at all. I respect their games and they're killing it right now. And they actually got promotions there, which is great to see. Yeah, right on. And maybe a move away from uh, those radio voices and start using those TV faces. You and the and the man rocket himself, Jay Khan and Tyler. Yeah, Jay Khan his- the man. Jay Khan is absolutely a man rocket. He's got a striking <laughs> resemblance to like Darwin Barney. Eh? It's true. <laughs> it's so true with that chiseled chin. Yeah, it's so man. Like that guy's a weapon. That's all I'll say. But that I always I am always told by the uh, the folks on Bumble and Tinder that I got a face for radio. So we'll stick with that. <laughs> Harsh. All right. Well, thanks again. <laughs> for joining us nick we'll uh, catch up soon my man thanks a lot thanks nick. guys i appreciate it anytime cheers well there it is nick alberga follow him on twitter at the golden muzzy and yeah let's go that went uh, well and beyond the amount of time that i thought we were gonna have nick for to be honest with you and uh, not to say that it went on too long or anything. I think that was a great chat. We just kind of kept going along and didn't really find an opportunity to switch gears or tell him to tell him to fuck off or anything. That was great. I mean, he's a wealth of knowledge, isn't he? Absolutely. Like you can tell he's just like a hockey nerd in the truest sense. Like he, he, you know, his, his whole life, it seems that he's always doing something in, in uh, hockey related, I guess, you know, the, the amount of media work this guy does, uh, you know, the way he's got, you know, a huge following on social media. Uh, he does a fantastic job on his podcast. You definitely got to check it out. He banks some really good interviews. Um, just sharp as hell. Just just knows knows the game and, and knows sports and is super passionate. Uh, so you can see why he, you know, he's gotten where he is. Uh, just just all around hard worker and great guy. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly, uh, he's got, a, like you said, a few great guests. And just to name a few for his podcast, Mike Legg, Chris Mason, Keith Primo, Brent Sopel, Ilya Brizgalov. Oh, that Briz one, I got to yeah, check that out. Daniel Negranu, Colton Orr, like, you know, there's lots. They go on and on. So, I mean, he's obviously been able to use the connections, right, that he created for himself. And he made a good point earlier to say it is a little bit of right place, right time. And I do feel like in a in a media industry that that definitely helps you. But you also have to be able to 
put yourself in that situation, Lesko. You can't just sit back and wait for something to come. You got to be ready for it. You got to be ready for it. You got to be ready for the opportunity. And like Nick said, you got to be hungry. And and I think he he is. I mean, the guy is constantly pumping out work, whether it be the fantasy contributions on sportsnet.ca or podcasting or YouTube. Like, you know, he's 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 really attacking it from all angles and i respect that i mean he's got a lot of work i can't believe he found fucking time to come on the puck pod here considering how hard the guy (laughs) does work and and you know i really admire those people who are like a swiss army knife so to speak in media uh you know a lot of people if you ask them and they're they're encouraging younger people to get into media it's like write learn video you know uh, hone your voice. Yeah, like for just sure. th- this multitude of skills is going to make you more employable. I mean, sure, you might only like writing, or you might not be confident behind a camera or whatever. But it'll come. It'll come. Like, it, and the more you know, the more skills you have, and the more experience you have in different facets of media. Uh, you know, if you look at some of the people who have made themselves successful they have that almost that total package where they can contribute content in all several different areas. And you look at a guy like him who's doing commentary, he's doing radio, he's got his own podcast. Uh, he writes like the skill set that these guys are looking for. And you think about the way the media industry is working too. I mean, we were constantly seeing downsizing at every angle, especially in the, in the print media world. Right. So the more skills you have, the more employable you're going to be, the more successful you're going to be. And the more of a brand and a following you can build, not just around your position at a particular media organization, but people who are interested in what you have to say um, on a range of topics in a range of medias. Yeah, and you can be super knowledgeable on the topic, let's go, but if you don't have a, an effective delivery, then you're not really going to have much success, man. You got to, even if you are constantly, um, you know, giving your opinions and their hot takes and people are always disagreeing with you, that is still attention. You are still getting the attention. You're gaining the attention of listeners or viewers. And even if they disagree with you, they still want to hear you, right? And so that's something that, I I pride ourselves in here on the pucks and deep podcast is that while we do have a very, you know, left leaning, uh, leaf, you know, area of the podcast, I think we do a good job of making sure that we're able to talk about a multitude of different things, other teams in this league and make sure that any listeners out there that want to hear more from us, well then let us know, you know, like we're not mind readers. We can't just do an episode on Carolina and then follow it up down the, down the alphabet with, you know, Chicago, Columbus or whatever. Like you got to bounce around. You got to, you got to take the stories as they're given to you and you got to turn them into good content. And I think that's not necessarily a super easy thing to do. And we do hear a lot of subpar productions that kind of pop up and then fade away after time. And I think our podcast, if I'm being totally honest, let's go. I think our podcast is one of the few that is, you know, has popped up and done well enough over the course of our last year and a bit of being on the air. It's going to continue on. I don't think we're going to fade away much like some of the other pucks in deep podcast oh, might exist. Fi- still firing shots over there. Some shade. Well, they haven't released anything yet. Oh yeah. Well, we're in a goddamn war. We haven't heard any responses. I guess we won the war. Maybe. I don't know. Won the battle, perhaps. <laughs> I like that. Won the battle, but don't want to jump the gun on the yeah, war. Not necessarily right. the war. So Alright, well, there's our outro music and we really hammered that out, let's go. We're about two hours. So hell, hell of an episode and you know, considering uh we didn't have as much time to prepare for this one, we were lucky that we were handed a multitude of stories, not just with the Maple Leafs, but with the 
Battle of Alberta taking place over the weekend. Right. And, uh, you know, this spurred some some good conversations. So enjoyed this episode a lot, and uh, we hope you guys keep listening and you're enjoying it as well. Um, make sure, like Coleman said, you, you got things you want us to talk about, let us know. I mean, we put a lot of effort into preparing for this show, and we're trying to think of the stories you're most interested in hearing, but if there's something you want to hear, give us a shout. Yeah, if you're a Minnesota Wild fan living down in, in Minneapolis, let us know, hey, where's my Minnesota Wild love? And before you know it, we're definitely going to be talking oh, about can't how... can't guarantee love. We're going to be talking about how much we want Matt Dumbo to play for the Leafs. Because <laughs> <laughs> no matter what you tell us to do, it'll always fucking come back to the Leafs. Always finds a way. That's the way it is. So yeah, make sure you like, share, and subscribe to the Pucks and D podcast wherever you find your podcast. Also, one more mention for Nick Alberga. His podcast can be found also wherever you podcast, and you'll find that by typing in unmuzzled uh, with Nick Alberga. So make sure you give that a follow. And uh, I guess we'll catch up with you guys next week at Coleman42, at Let's Go Adam, at PuckPod. We'll see you again next week. Episode 55 is a wrap. <laughs>